recording this one late Monday. Probably be listening to it on an early Tuesday. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We'll do a quick recap of NFL Week 3. Actually recording this as the Monday Night Football game is still going on. Dallas is up 6-3 to three right now on the Giants. Then we'll dive into Louisiana Downs for Closing Day Tuesday. If you are listening to this and you haven't played any Louisiana Downs races, the Tuesday card is one that you have to play. It's mandatory payout in all the pools. It's closing day, so everything must go. And the pick six has field sizes of 11, 11, 10, 10, 10, and 10. Pick 5, 11, 10, 10, 10, and 10. Pick 4, all field sizes of 10. Fantastic wagering opportunities, low takeout. That's Tuesday at Louisiana Downs. And then we'll get into Andor, episodes 1 through 3. There was a three-episode premiere of Andor. Darren Zocali joins me to talk all about episodes 1 through 3. We go in order of everything happening, all the major events, and we get you set up and prepped for episode 4. Then we finish up with She-Hulk, the deep dive with Tim Kelly. It's our episode 6 scene-by-scene recap and review. So some Star Wars, some Marvel, some MCU, closing day at Louisiana, and a quick NFL Week 3 recap on this episode. That's what G said. That is presented by BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets. Go give them a follow right now on Twitter and check out the analysis from all different handicappers and gamblers all around the world. It's all free. Go give them a follow at BTV Bets. Let's do a little quick run through of what happened in NFL Week 3. Most of my rewatches have not occurred yet. So a lot of what I'm just going to react is things that I saw when watching through some of the games on Sunday. Usually Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday is when I deep dive all the games. I rewatch everything. I take all my notes again. So for uh, NFL Week 3, we saw the Browns open up last week on Thursday and beat the Steelers. They moved the 2-1 and one Steelers, 1-2, uh, and two, and they're really struggling. They can't move the ball, and their offense just looks putrid, really, uh, really, really basic. Just not exciting whatsoever. Texans-Bears in a battle of two teams that probably will end up towards the bottom of the standings, but the Bears get a win on a late Texans turnover, and now the Bears are 2-1. and one. How about that? The Raiders have an opportunity to tie the game late against the Titans, but they cannot complete a two-point conversion. So the Titans get the win at home against the Raiders. They pick up their first victory of the year. Raiders move to 0-3. Titans are 1-2. They were able to hold on, even though they did not score a point in the second half after getting a, a big lead early on the Raiders. The Colts pick up their first victory. They beat the Chiefs. The Colts are now 1-1-1. Remember, they have that tie with the Texans in Week 1. And this was a really ugly game overall. The Chiefs only scored 17 points, and there just wasn't a lot of flow to this game. Bills-Dolphins. Dolphins win a game where they ran 39 total plays, and the Bills ran 90. Yet the Dolphins won this game because of a lot of Buffalo mishaps. It was a weird spot. Buffalo started to get really tired late in this game because they were playing down in Miami. And the Dolphins are 3-0. The Bills, who just a week ago looked unbeatable, already suffered defeat. They moved to 2-1. The Lions, ah, this one disappointed me. I like the Lions. I'm a fan of them. I want them to do well. They were up. They were playing really well against the Vikings. They had a double-digit point lead. 
and they just laid an egg late. They gave up 14 points in the fourth quarter. There was a big play where it was a fourth and four, and Dan Campbell, instead of going for it or punting, he tried to kick a long field goal, which was the worst of all three decisions that you make there, and he'd been really aggressive in going for it throughout the game. So that was disappointing because the Lions, it's a game that they should have won, and winning that game and going to 2-1 and one versus 1-2, one and two, and now... Another game where you go, ah, we could have won, we should have won. That's not what the Lions want this year. They want to try to take a step forward and get right in that 500 range. And that that one's going to hurt. So one and two for the Lions. Vikings two and one. Baltimore goes into New England. They beat the Patriots, and Mac Jones looks like he has a high ankle sprain and he's going to be missing at least a few weeks, um, as reported by Adam Schefter just a little earlier on Monday evening. So. Not great prospects for the Patriots who are already 1-2 and and they're in a division now that looks a little bit tougher with the Bills and the Dolphins very competent. The Ravens and Lamar. Lamar's been incredible running the ball in the last two games. He had 100 yards again, 11 carries for 107 yards and a touchdown. Bengals go in and get a win against the Jets and then they're going to come right back on Thursday night and play a Dolphins team that should be a really good game. Cincy at home will play the Dolphins on Thursday night. Uh, the Jets and Bengals both 1-2 and two, since he could very easily be 3-0. and oh. The Eagles go to 3-0 and oh, and they look like one of the best football teams um, there so far this year. They scored 24 points in the second quarter and they just cruised afterwards and dominated the Commanders. So the Eagles are 3-0, and oh, Washington 1-2. and two. The Saints have been one of the most disappointing teams in my opinion this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They lose here to the Panthers, and they could very easily be 0-3. Jameis does not look good. Their wide receivers are banged up. Young receiver Olave looks incredible, but not a whole lot of positives otherwise coming out of the uh, the Saints right now. And Baker Mayfield picks up his first win with Carolina. McCaffrey with over 100 yards rushing there. So both those teams now are 1-2, and the Panthers and the Saints. Really impressive win from the Jags. They go to 2-1. and one. Trevor Lawrence has looked very good now in back-to-back weeks. And I don't want to take anything away from Jacksonville, but I do want to wait a bit because Justin Herbert was banged up. He had the rib issues. He was a game-time decision. I don't know why he was still out there playing late. And he throws the ball 45 times when he's banged up like that. The Chargers are dealing with some injuries right now, too. Bosa's banged up. Keenan Allen has already been having uh, issues early in the season, missing a couple games. Jags win that game 38-10. Jags are 2-1. Chargers 1-2. Rams beat the Cardinals in a real sloppy, sort of sleepy game, too. Rams win 20-12 in this one, and Sean McVay continues his recent stretch of dominance over the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury. The Falcons have been one of the teams that I think have I've been pleased with early on. They go on the road and they beat Seattle. So they get their first win, but they've been competent in all of their games. They're good. They're much better than I thought on offense and defensive lines. And their secondary is pretty strong. They have some nice weapons. Mariota can move the ball with his feet a little bit too. They're one of my favorite teams to play right now. Because they, I still think they're a little undervalued by most. Packers-Bucks, a 14-12 game with Rodgers and Brady. But the Packers aren't really flowing on the offensive side right now. 
their defense is really strong. And Tampa has a fantastic defense as well. They're just missing all their receivers right now. They're all banged up. Evans was suspended last week. Godwin was hurt. Jones was hurt. They were bringing receivers up off the practice squad, so they didn't have a whole lot of chemistry, and they couldn't really move the ball well. They're also having some issues in one or two spots on the offensive line. But these still feel like two of the better teams in the NFC. As we saw this week, in week three, nobody's perfect. Who are you scared of? I mean, nobody is extremely terrifying right now. We have the Dolphins, who are 3-0. and The Eagles, who are 3-0. and And as of right now, a Giants team that's playing on Monday Night Football. Everybody else has already lost. Everybody else is right in the middle at 1-2 and two or 2-1. Uh, and one. So there is a lot of parity right now in the NFL. That Sunday night game, somehow the Broncos win and they go to 2-1. and one. 49ers are 1-2. and two. Jimmy G did not look great in this game. Both of these defenses are strong. So the 49ers 1-2. The Broncos now 2-1 and one, even though they've looked ugly in all three games. We'll see if the Giants can continue... To uh, stay unbeaten after winning their first couple games. They're currently playing right now on Monday night against Dallas. So that was just a quick look into some of the uh, the scores and what happened in week three. Just a few days, we'll have our full week four game-by-game deep dive previews with Eric. Each and every week, each and every game right here on That's What G Said. Let's make the transition on over to horse racing. Louisiana Downs closing day. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. It's time to kick our feet back and get into the past performances. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse And you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. 
every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Every Friday morning at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, we have our Stable Duel live stream this weekend in Stable Duel with Barry Spears, the sniper, Matt DeSantis, and myself. We dive into all the important contest details and we tell you all the tracks that have games and Stable Duel games for Friday and Saturday. Then we give out best bets and all of the horses that we give out are 5-1 to or above. We don't even give you any horses that are shorter prices. We want to make sure that the horses we give you really, really help you in your stable dual lineups and if you're playing pick fours or making any wagers throughout the day. And that is every Friday, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to just check the stable dual app each day. You can find out which contests are there. Get involved. Let's get involved at Louisiana Downs. Closing day at Louisiana. Everything must go. Mandatory payouts in all of the exotics first post 145 eastern time nine race cards so the pick six starts in race number four pick five starts in race number five pick four starts in race number six those are the major exotic wagers remember we'll also have a live stream tuesday morning 10 o'clock a.m eastern time sarah el badwi barry spears jake from thrilling picks jake with thrilling picks and uh I always say Jake from Thrilling Picks, like Jake from State Farm. And also Roxanne Tanner, Ambassador Roxanne from Louisiana Downs. Let's dive into the Tuesday card. For the final time this year, Louisiana Downs. Race number one, maiden special weights going a mile on the turf. I thought the one Jackie Flash looks like the horse to catch. I'm, I'm sort of using the one and the three as wild cards here. I think both of them can be forwardly placed. They should be close up early. If either one of them can clear off, they could be really tough to run down. Now, if they end up battling each other and putting some pressure on one another, it will set up for the horses to come from off the pace. Those are the five, River Crest Girl, the six, Drusilla, and the seven, Miss Tonalist. So I'll try to use the one and three with the five, see if I can hook up some exotics there, and I'll use those as my top three with the six and seven as underneath horses that absolutely could win this race. I went one, five, three, six, seven. Moving to the second race, maiden special weight, Louisiana bred two year olds. The four, my glory B, 
had a fine start in his most recent race, but he got pushed inward by his rivals inside, and he was on the rail that day. He did move up nicely into contention, but he moved up into a tight spot just behind his rivals. The effort was a little bit better than it looks. In his second start, he just missed, and he gets off the rail after drawing the inside and back-to-back. I think it's a good spot for my glory B. The five Wishart, he's a for, uh, he's a second time starter. The dam of this one won their only start with a couple winning sibs and a debut winner. I wouldn't be shocked to see this guy fire a much better effort in his second start for Joe Foster. The seven, Callie Brachot, a kid. Dam was a winner, produced three winning sibs, and Shane Wilson has won with three of his last seven first time starters at the meet. So I went four, five, and seven there in race number two. In the third race at Louisiana, we have 12,500 non-winners of two. Seven and a half the distance there on the turf. And I'm looking at the 10 horse to the outside. That's Big Rojo. It was first time turf and first time going long on September the 6th. And I thought he ran really well. He was second chasing and he was chasing a loose leader. He moved to challenge, but he was immediately tackled by another closer. So they lined up three across the track. He had to work really hard for his first time going a little longer. And I like the outside draw. Should be able to settle in nicely, or if maybe they want to go and get aggressive. The 10 is the top selection there. The number six, Thunder Road. Very logical. Was your beaten favorite in three consecutive starts. Tough to really count on this one on the win end, but a very nice exotic horse to use. Same with the three uh, with the five Kingprin. Kingprin was behind Farmy's Faith last time out, but Kingprin has a little more early speed, so overall, I'd prefer using a horse like Kingprin who can get involved and hang around for a share versus a horse like Farmy's Faith who they get caught in a little trouble could be tough sailing. 10-6-5 in the third. Moving along. To race number four, this one is where your pick six jackpot starts. Now it's a jackpot wager, but because it's a mandatory payout, it's closing day, everything must go. So no longer a jackpot style, but it is a 20-cent base. I like the five, don't blink twice. She had a good start on August the 14th, and she was challenging for the lead. She ends up backing off a little bit to sit second, and she's about a length behind. She tried to move inside, but... It really wasn't a whole lot of room, and she engaged again, but the horse on the front end was comfortable, and that winner, Satisfy You, opened up to win by eight lengths. So she backs up a little bit. Now she will make her third start off a long, long layoff. She cuts back to five and a half. I think it's a nice spot for Don't Blink Twice. I was very impressed with the 11 in the debut. That was Judge This Trip. She had a good start from the outside, but four others inside lined up for the lead, but she was at least three deep. She tried hard. It was a nice debut. The three gold chain made a four wide bid into the second flight and gave up a ton of ground, but was still trying at the end. Then, so the five is the horse I will include with the 11 and everything. The three is obviously another major player. And then if you want to go a little deeper, I would include some prices like the six bonus round with the blinkers on second time out all Six siblings were winners, and this one got some action in her debut. In the 10, Atlantic Band has shown some early positional speed in tougher spots and now cuts back. I wouldn't be shocked to see this filly run a little bit better than her odds would suggest. 
lot of ways to go in there But I'll put the 5 on top of the 2 other logicals 5, 11, 3, and then 6, 10 for the deeper prices In the 5th race, it's a $7,500 restricted claiming race 7.5 furlongs on the turf I like the 8 in here That is Inca Warrior Inca Warrior has some really nice recent turf form And a couple of the races where he doesn't seem like he ran all that well He was behind very nice horses Most recently, he lost in a race behind Superwise And that, look at how slow they went to the half mile 51-1 chasing Lone Speed winner Superwise crossed the wire first, going wire to wire And then was DQ'd But there was no passing in that race Two starts back Inca Warrior finished behind Greeley Went West Who has won four in a row That's a nine time winner You see Oh My Aching Arch just a few starts back He's won three of his last four And four of his last six Inca Warrior is coming out of some good strong races And he didn't Really fire last time out Because nobody was making up any ground in there I like the eight The eleven More ice is Really tough at this level He has been second in four consecutive races But in all of those races he ran into Tough foes who And three times in a row he lost to a horse Who went right back to win their next start Tiger Beach, Greeley went west And Picking Roses He's the horse to beat in here The 7, Valentine Street He's 0 for the last 13 But only one of those races Was at this level and in that race It was a good third Chasing the lone speed winner Super wise that day I keep saying winner He crossed the wire for Super wise was DQ'd that day I'm, I'm going to use 8-11-7 In a race that looks like It has a pretty good amount of speed on paper Moving to the 6th race This one kicks off your late pick 4 It's a maiden special weight race For 2 year olds 5.5 furlongs the distance I like the 4 golden remedy he will be making his second career start And he got bumped on both sides in the debut At the start He moved uh, up inside Within two lengths Into contention And then he tired He got action in that debut Carlos Lozada jumps out now for second start The blinkers come on And he's a half sibling to a seven time winner Who won all their races sprinting on the dirt Jonas Gibson's horses have been running very well Throughout the meet Before Golden Remedy Along with the 8 Bello Credo That's the horse to beat Who was behind uncashed on September the 13th And in that race Bello Credo was sitting nicely to the outside Was sitting third And he started to loom up And the winner I thought he was going to blow right by The horse who was on the lead uncashed Was like 15 to 1 And as soon as Bello Credo came up next to him Uncashed just kicked on Like shrugged him off Was really impressive I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Bello Credo was more aggressive today with Jose and Shane teaming up. I think they might try to go from there. The one, La Bucane. Damn was a winner. It was also multiple graded stakes placed in grade one placed. Going a mile on, and a 16th on the dirt as a two year old at Los Alamitos in the grade one starlet. 4 8 1, the three Brave Magic is obviously logical off those three straight runner up efforts, but. I feel like some of these can improve where maybe we've seen some of his better efforts so far. 4813 in the sixth, moving to race number seven. These are just difficult races now. Mile on the turf, optional 35. I'm going to go to the eight, 
for the top selection, Eve's Delight. She's stretching back out from five furlongs. She might be the horse to catch in here. She's very fast and she's really honest. And she's she's got some upside because she's not she doesn't have a whole lot of races on the turf and going long. So she can continue to improve there. The five is another interesting horse. Just passing through was a monster winner last time she was on the turf. She's a two-time winner on the turf. Both of those wins have come right here at Louisiana. Jose and Shane Wilson team up there. The one racy JC is just really hard to leave out of any exotic. She's won three in a row impressively. You have the six Miss Perfecta, who... Should fit really well in here, sitting close to the lead, maybe just sitting second or third. She's a 10-time winner who exits a strong race at Remington Park. Difficult, difficult races at Louisiana. This seventh race, I went 8-5-1-6. You want to go a little deeper? The three, Princess Phone. Maybe a little more of a wild card stretching out after racing a lot recently at five. But the 10 is another. Fort Polk, I mean, that's probably the horse to beat. But from out there in a race that seems pretty competitive, I might try to beat Fort Polk. Lots of ways to go there. I end up going yeah, 8-5-1-6 and then 10-3. Eighth race, five furlongs on the dirt, $7,500 non-winners of two claimers. I'm going to look at the 8 and the 9 as sort of a top tier of horses that I'm going to use in all exotics. Priced right Comes out of a race where he had a good start But he couldn't clear off from the outside And he was pushed Four wide, he backed up He tried to come on again, he moved up to second But the winner that day made a huge middle move And opened up Now Lozada jumps aboard And this guy cuts back to five furlongs Third start of the form cycle You know, you start to dive into his form Overall, he's been pretty consistent Since Returning to the races in December of 2021 a pretty good stretch of races Where he's only got about two Two of the five that you'd say I guess two out of the six of them Where you'd say he didn't run all that well And probably excuses on both of those The first start off the bench And then another race before a little bit of a layoff Eight nine The nine good looking so are looking good so far Just key off the races at five furlongs This is, this is where he wants to be The shorter trips The five that's market book He's an obvious player But he burned money last time out And There's others that I think have a little bit more Upside to them He obviously fits with this group The four more than play Another Asmussen right next door He's pretty quick He's a pace factor His win came at five furlongs He was one of the quicker in here The one Detective Bernardo Bernardo Sort of a wild card Comes in from Gillespie And then the three lucky break just missed two starts back on August the 15th In a 5,000 non-winners of two race That's probably pretty similar to this one I'm using 8-9 everywhere 5-4 in the next grouping And then 1-3 if you want to go a little deeper Or use horses underneath Let's get to the ninth and final The number 6 It's going to be the top selection in here Super wise We've mentioned him a few times And in this mile and a half race to close out the card there is very little early speed in here I think Super Wise with Lozada is going to send Or if the Green Masta wants to go They just sit right behind It looks like those two can get out and place themselves And I just don't think they're going to battle and duel 
When both have shown they're fine sitting behind So I'll use the 6 super wise all over The 1A wins tea time is in awesome form Right now As is pick and roses Both both parts of the entry are really tough And they'll give you great 2 for 1 action The 5 Uncle Artie He has a race at a mile and a half that's not bad He was 4th and he was only beating a couple lengths I love how they Got a little more aggressive with him and showed more early speed If he can just sit a little closer He has a big shot in here I'll use 6, 1A, and 5 everywhere On some deeper tickets We start throwing in the 9 Chaosmos Look at his recent turf form Runner up effort at Evangeline going a mile Before that he was a winner Against first level allowance company right here back in May Mau Mau Has been in really nice form In the last 4 starts Mau Mau's not quite as good on the turf But Kind of intrigued by this horse Going a mile and a half And then you have both the 3 and the 4 Vinyl who had legitimate trouble on July the 17th And the green Mosta Who should be forwardly placed in here And if Super Wise doesn't go Or if the 4 breaks alertly He could steal this race Overall he's just 4 for 48 But lots of minor awards And he's not far behind what it takes to compete with the best in here Picking Roses, Space Mountain He was in front of Vinyl The Green Monster I go 6, 1A, 5, 9, 10, 8 And then 3, 4 I always rank them Because sometimes when I'm playing exotics And I'm using horses underneath Or when horses get scratched I just like to always have like horses in tiers And in sort of groupings So that's Louisiana Downs Tuesday That's Louisiana Downs for the meet Thanks so much everyone for uh Hanging out with us as we talked Louisiana every single day And now our focus will shift for the next five weeks or so It'll be Santa Anita We'll have Santa Anita Friday, Saturday, and Sunday analysis on podcast and on social media We'll talk all about Santa Anita and their Pick'em Prop Contest So Santa Anita will become an everyday focus now And we'll continue to talk about big races from all around the country, wherever they are But Lots of Santa Anita, probably a little Woodbine to the next bit, little bit But yeah, Santa Anita moving forward And Moving forward, we want all of you To head to CindyCarava.com C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com She's a full service realtor One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said She can help you out with buying With selling, with leasing She can help connect you to the right type of vendors If you need help with home improvement If you need help getting connected with the lenders And the loan process Has been difficult for you She'll put you in touch with the right type of people That will make your life easier there She's one of the kindest and most genuine people You will ever meet The website C-I-N-D-Y C-A-R-A-V-A dot com dot com Spoiler alert Spoiler alert Spoiler alert It's time to talk Star Wars It's time to talk Andor The newest Star Wars Show on Disney Plus It just dropped uh, last week And there will be new episodes every Wednesday So we will have weekly recaps for you moving forward But they premiered with a three episode premiere So we had Darren Zocali join us to talk all about the first three episodes of Andor Kick back and enjoy Star Wars fans We're going to go through everything that happened All of the important stuff We'll have it Try to make sense for you We'll ask some of the questions you're answering We'll try to answer those We'll make some predictions moving forward And we'll talk all about Andor Darren Zocali joins
It is a great time in the world to be a nerd, to be a fan of fandom. Right now, there's there's the show She-Hulk going on. There's a Lord of the Rings show. There's the new Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. And we just had a three-episode premiere of uh, a new entrance into the world of Star Wars with Andor. Andor is a 12-episode series on Disney+. Plus. That's going to show us how the rebellion was born. This is basically a prequel series for the movie Rogue One that gives us an origin story for Cassian Andor and the rebellion. One of my very good friends who you've heard on this show probably as much as uh, anyone. And we talk racing, we talk wrestling, but I know he is a huge fan of Star Wars. We actually see him travel down to Disneyland all the time and take in and, uh, Disney World all the time, take in on some of the festivities with the family. And I know, Darren, that one of your favorite Star Wars pieces of content ever was Rogue One. So I was very interested in picking your brain on this show. Um, we'll go sort of in chronological order of what happened in the three, and we'll kind of talk about the three as sort of one in the premiere. But just give me first some of your overall thoughts. What did you think of this uh, this three-episode premiere that we got? Yeah, it, it's a, it, I knew it was going to be a really interesting series. A- any of these series that pinpoint the times in Star Wars canon – where we had questions after the movies. How did we get from point A to point B? What was going on maybe in in some of the darker corners of the galaxy? How did certain things uh, get formed like the Rebellion? Where did it come from? How did we get from here to there? So, you know, Rogue One was such a cool movie because it it brought you from episode three to episode four, which was was a period that a lot of people had a lot of questions about. How did all these things transpire? How did we get the plans to the, uh, you know, to to the Star Destroyer? Excuse me, to uh, wow, I'm blanking out on the uh, <laughs> the the giant structure that uh, that in uh, the Death Star. Wow, yep, been a long 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 morning already. I know already, uh, yeah, already. But you know, h- how did all these things transpire? And this is such an important show because this character, uh, Cassian Andor played a pivotal a pivotal role in the destruction of the first Death Star uh, as based on what, what transpired in the movie Rogue One. So now we are going to learn about how he traversed the universe, where he came from, his origins. And I, it, it certainly seems, as we discuss this, that this is a character that is supremely important yes. to the rebellion and, and the rebels' cause. And in fact... My early take on it is that he is going to be a key piece in the creation of the rebellion in general. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's a huge thing for people that are that are Star Wars fans. And we are introduced to a character in the I think it's the, it's toward the end of the second episode and then the third episode named Luthen, who is basically a character that's played by uh uh Skarsgard, a yeah. fantastic actor. And Love him. he is Love basically him. The one who tries to really um, – he's sort of like the catalyst for the rebellion. You know, He's the one that's recruiting Andor and trying to, to kind of rile everyone up and, and find these like-minded people who have been struggling. And what's so great about this is this is Star Wars, and you feel it when you're watching, but there's no mention of the Force anywhere. Nope. We open up. Within five minutes, there's a double murder. Which, by it's, the way, is I really love what they what they did there, and, and I'm sure you realized it. But this show started with a callback to Rogue One because that's absolutely that's how Rogue One started. Because you have this character who 
ends up being such a sympathetic figure at the end of Rogue One. He's he's a hero, but up until that point, he's he's a he's a hard ass. You he's know, done he's some a guy, stuff, and he's done yeah. some shady things along the way that yep. we've seen. Yep, you know, he's absolutely. not squeaky clean at all. No, a hundred a hundred percent. I mean, we forget that in Rogue One, you know, his main objective was to kill the scientist who was building the Death Star, who of course. Mm-hmm was working with the rebellion at the time to try to sneak the plans, you know, away. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on where people are on the same side at this point who don't even know that they are actually on the same side, uh, which is the beginnings of the rebellion before it all comes together. But it's funny, you know, just a quick aside, uh, one of my friends, I didn't realize until he said it, he he thought the show was about a a planet in Star Wars. Yeah, and, and, and it took me a minute to think, and I was like, no, 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 that's Endor. <laughs> yes, you're right. that's so funny. You're right. He was like, it's like no, Andor's a guy. <laughs> the guy. That's the name, yep. and that is that is funny, and yep. it's it's really cool to see this day to day of everyone here and the struggles of these regular people going to work in this town, even the the town that is Ferrix that we see them living in and it's it's sort of this like um it's it's a ship sort of junkyard town it's the, it's in the same system as this Morlana one that we we yep. were, are introduced to early on but they actually created this city DZ as opposed to using a green screen and filming using like CGI stuff you can kind of feel it like it feels a little more real and lived in like people are actually able to walk around here versus you know, interacting with stuff on a screen that makes it feel a little bit less personal sometimes. And that can be an issue. I mean, that was obviously one of the big issues they talked about with, you know, uh, you know, some of the prequel trilogies way back when, but that can really be an issue when you're dealing with, um, you know, serious stuff, emotional stuff, but the, the, the casting in this movie and the, the, like we said with Skarsgård, the fact that they brought in all of these great actors, it doesn't feel like they're cutting corners in any of these parts. It felt like a real like hour and a half movie that we watched almost. No, it did. It it, it really did, and and it flowed very nicely. Um, you know, I I wonder if the fact that uh, the same director, uh, Toby Haynes, directed episodes one, two, and three, Susanna White is going to be the director of four, five, and six. So I wonder if there's something to that as well. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. Um, yeah. But yeah, it flowed very nicely. It just took you from one thing uh, to the other. But, you know, th- th- there are going to be some really solid actors showing up. Uh, obviously, Forrest Whitaker is going to reprise his role from Rogue One, as he is obviously a, a hugely important figure. Uh, you know, I-, I don't know if 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 Jin Erso or Galen Erso are going to show up at some point uh, in, in some form or another. That's a, that's obviously a question. You would have to imagine that something related to the Death Star, at least at the end of yep. this series, is going to happen. How we're going to get there, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, D- Diego Luna does just a, a fantastic job in this role. Uh, like you said, they certainly spared no expense. Um, looking at, at the city, it's kind of like if you mentioned going to Disney World, uh, if you've ever been down there and walked around Galaxy's Edge, that that's kind of what it looks like. Um, yes. it, it's pretty cool. It's a really cool experience, and it brings it to you on the screen. Um, but yeah, it it, it has a very, um, a very Star Wars feel, and it's really interesting because you mentioned there's no Jedi stuff going on. 
There's no force stuff. No lightsabers. There's no lightsabers. There's there's no bounty hunters. This is just the very beginning of the intricacies of the rebellion and to see how it forms. And it literally is going to be formed because Cassian Andor wants to sell something to a guy. I mean, yeah, that's like a, like a black much, market shady dealing is how it yeah, all goes down. That's and that seems to be the thing that triggers the start of the rebellion, which is is really cool that it comes from this kind of what could just be a, a run of the mill thing that happens every day in the like a happenstance. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and not this grandiose plan that brings everything together. So I think that's really interesting. So let's dive into uh Andor episodes one through three. We'll start right at the beginning. We'll kind of go in chronological order with a lot that happens in this three-part premiere. We open up and then we get the Andor title card. And what's cool about each of the three episodes, they like tweak the intro music a little bit. Um, in the second one, it's like a little faster and more upbeat. In the third one, it evolves again. So they're just sort of like telling a little bit of a in the composition. A, like a little bit of what is going to be in the in that particular episode, and we start like rainy, dark, stormy. This is Blade Runner type stuff, and this is what the feel is right off the very, bat. Very, very Rogue One esque. Yeah, yeah. just um, and what's great is they give us title cards on the screen for a lot of stuff. They really spell it out for us too, which makes it easier for us, you know, having a conversation about these things. We are in the pre more corporate so so we're in Morlana 1 which is a planet and it's pre-ox Morlana 1 corporate zone and they are these areas are run by private corporate security they oversee security for the empire these guys these pre-more corporate authority agents they're like rent-a-cops honestly they're like these guys that have been empowered that think that they are you know one step away from being part of the empire and the empire doesn't even really know they exist i mean they're just literally Patrolling and they there's such so little connection between them and the empire, and we actually get a time which is cool. We've never had a time like this listed on any Star Wars where it says BBY being used to tell a time BBY five, which would be five years before the events of Rogue One, and then a New Hope following that. So we pick up Cassian Andor. He's looking for a girl from Canari, and he. Walks through this really seedy looking area and like Amsterdam is what it is. It's like the yeah, red light district of Amsterdam. Absolutely. There's yeah. people in bubbles that you can walk in and have pl and pleasure yourself with. Like you just pick them right out of the streets. And what I love about this is it it's you and I know immediately, like you said, you can just say in one word it's Amsterdam. But I I, I was listening to this on a different recap, and they had said Star Wars was able to in this first few episodes give you some more adult level themes without mm -hmm. making it feel like you wouldn't feel weird if you were sitting down with your kid necessarily having watched this because it you didn't know what was going on they just sort of quickly told it to you and then he's in a brothel which kind of looks like a bar but we're getting these more adult themes without necessarily like aging out the younger kids that still want to be a part of Star Wars and I, I thought that was really cool what they did here even the murder like you said it's it's intense and we're watching it but it's not gory we're not seeing a bunch of blood all over. It's not AEW wrestling, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, Star Wars, I mean, Star Wars would do some stuff, you know, at different times in the older movies where, you know, an arm would get cut off and things like that. But for, but for the most part, 
um, you know, they, they get their point across without really having to, to do too much. Um, and, and this is a, an example of that. And it's, and it's similar to how rogue one starts, um, you know, but right away what they're telling you about, about this particular character and casting Andor is that he comes from a dark past. Uh, he's searching for his sister. So obviously he's trying to reconnect some things from the past. We don't know yet other than the fact that he's obviously from Canary. We don't know anything about Canary at this point. We don't know where it is. We don't know what happened there. We don't know anything about his family. Um, is this a character that's going to be connected to something else that leads him to where he goes? Or is this just a random person who gets hooked into the rebellion uh, and becomes a, a pivotal character? Uh, a lot of questions still to be answered, but yeah, no question. Episode one of this series starts with this guy going into a strip club looking for a sister. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it's, pretty much what happens. <laughs> it, yep, yep. It's just a totally different take. And it's he, he's approached by one of the women who I, she sort of looks at him and she looks at a couple of the other guys across and he's he, he's better looking, right? She walks over yeah. to him. She's kind of addressing him. And some of the guys that are in the the brothel there, they're making a stink with Cassian. They're had a few drinks. They're kind of talking trash to him. They're these cops that think they're they're really tough and they can tell that he's an outsider. So they talk a little bit of trash. But Cassian isn't there for a lap dance. He's there to find out about his sister. He asks a couple questions about a girl that used to be there from Canari and doesn't really get much. The the lady that's around and the, the lady that comes to serve him just really tells him, you know, the girl left a while ago. She sort of disappeared. So he, he doesn't get what he needs. He decides to leave. And as he's on his way out, these cops, they're looking for a fight. They come after him. Trying to rob him basically mm -hmm. And he stops He offers them a bribe initially That they're willing to take And as they approach him He turns it into a fight He thinks he can get the better of the both of them And he's right, he does But it seems like in I don't think he initially wanted to kill the guy But one of them gets killed And within six minutes We have one, one of these two that's dead The other one uh, These guys were named Crevis and Verlo These two security guards, these real Sentry guard try hard types And one of the men Is fighting off Cassian They don't even realize That the other one has been shot And so they both kind of stop for a second And they look and as The remaining police officer is trying to Wiggle his way out and tell Cassian Hey look I'm not going to report this We'll just move along Cassian yeah. just blasts him right in the head And two guys are done You know within minutes it was it's kind of eye-opening, but you understand the guy needs to do this to get away. He wasn't going to get away. And as you had said, they very, very apparently want to let us know right away, this is not some squeaky clean hero. This is a guy who has done some stuff. But like anyone, nobody is all good or all evil, right? Everyone has past and, and times where you've made the right decision or the wrong decision. And this one... It's not like those were good guys, but he did just kill a couple guys. Yeah, I, and I think the other thing to dive in a, a little bit deeper is is not just obviously what you said, but I, I think what they're getting across right away is that for some reason, Cassian has a major problem with the Empire. Yep. And anything connected with the Empire, he does not hesitate to get rid of. Real chip um, on the shoulder. Yes, so... Obviously, you know, now you, you kind of connect the dots. Okay, 
His sister is apparently at some point working in a strip club in a town where a company that runs security for the empire, which is loosely connected to the empire, um, you know, is involved. So obviously, historically within his family and in his past, something has happened between his family, his loved ones and the empire that has set him down this path where if you are connected to the empire in any way, shape or form, you are essentially an enemy of this person. Uh, and I think they get that point across right away. Um, one difference I will mention, because some stuff like to like to be nit some people like to be really nitpicky with some of the things in Star Wars. Um, one thing that will be aesthetically pleasing to the people that you know look for things to to pick on uh, in this particular series, Cassian's uh, physical appearance, even though he's a few years past having filmed Rogue One, lines up well in the timeline of Star Wars. As opposed to Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's very true. Who in 9 BBY is 23 years past the Phantom Menace and has aged like a normal person. But 9 BBY is literally nine years before New Hope. And apparently within those nine years, Obi-Wan ages about 40 years. So, you know, people, you know, listen, it's, it's pretty apparent that there's an issue there. Uh, that issue does not exist here. It, it fits quite well into the timeline. Yeah, he looks great. He really yeah. does. And we then cut to Ferrix, the place that uh, Cassian Andor lives in now. And this is the town that they'd actually created. It's this ship junkyard planet in the same system as Morlana 1. And we uh, we were introduced to someone who will be a new fan favorite, I'm sure, the, the droid B2. B-E-M-O-2. And what's great about him is uh, he's just like a total loyal friend to Cassian. We find out right away that he's actually willing to lie for Cassian. It just takes him extra power, DZ. You just got to charge him up a little bit more so he can create and, a lie. And and by, and by the way, it was in this moment that I drew a very uh, distinct similarity. You have uh, a character in Cassian who was clearly either removed from his family or his family was killed by the Empire or taken from him where he ended up leaving a planet that we don't know much about and ending up on a planet that's a ship, ship junk droid, uh, excuse me, a ship junkyard with a loyal droid who apparently is by his side. What yeah. does that sound very similar to? It sounds very similar to Ray. Ray, who and, had her parents taken from her by either the Empire or by the First Order, who went from one planet and ended up in Joku, which was what? A ship junkyard with a very loyal droid by her side. So I find it hard to believe. Now I'm not saying obviously that Cassian is not a, not a force sensitive person, but there are some very distinct similarities between these two characters at this point. In a hundred percent. And what leads us right next into the flashback, as you were saying, we start to see what happened to Cassian as a child and Cassian, we see him in Canary and there's a there's this tribe of children. Think Lord of the Flies. Yeah, and, good, and very good. Yep. That that's what we're getting here. And what we see is that um, there are no parents around, and there are, are these kids that see something falling out of the sky, and it looks like a ship that was kind of crashing out of the sky, and it crash lands. And throughout some of these flashbacks, it would sort of be hard to to kind of hit each flashback particularly, but kind of overall in, in some of the first few, in these flashbacks, what we do, DZ, is we see that these kids have like a leader of the tribe, 
that Cassian has his younger sister and that he is referred to as Cassa at this point. We don't even really have uh, any subtitles. We don't even know what they're saying to each other. Right. And what was really cool about this is in like, doing a little research for this, they actually created a language that the child actors learned for this mm. that the adult actors don't know. So when they were around each other, it was literally like people speaking two different languages. Um, that's how serious they went to some of the lengths for this with the with the children actors who are playing this this tribe, and we actually see them in Canary, and we we can kind of see that there was a big mining sort of project. It looked like everybody on this planet was part of that was what they do, and it seems like there was a huge accident because it the entire area is abandoned, and when we see some of the people and some of the adults that are on Canary, they are all dead. They have yellow face as if there was some sort of gasoline that changed the color of their skin and their body. And there there was a huge accident that seemed to wipe out a lot of the adults. Maybe it was something that happened in the mines. But Cassian grows up for early parts of his life with just him and a group of other children. Yeah, so what I took from that was clearly this was a peaceful planet um, where the uh, – Life forms, I guess you would call them humans if they if that's what they are at this point, um, were underdeveloped from a standpoint of society. They lived in in what you imagine are forests, um, and they, they it was not an advanced civilization on this planet. Now, clearly, from what I'm drawing from this, the Empire came in and set up some kind of a mine because obviously something within the planet had some value, like you said. Whenever the Empire comes in, my guess is they probably took adults captive. Some sort of colonization. Some sort of colonization, made them work for the Empire, which is why you probably have this group of children walking around without parents. So I'm starting to figure out, okay, maybe Cassian's parents were taken by the Empire, colonized, and now put into you know work in these mines and... That's probably what's happened That's, here. Yeah. yeah, it looked like there must have been some accident or the yep. ship crashing. You know, some something that all sparked this. But now we're getting to what you were earlier. Now we're understanding why this guy hates anything to do with the empire. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And that and that's typically, you know, with the with the heroes of the rebellion or the heroes of the resistance. That that's always at, at the root of the cause. That that's the yep. one thing that connects all of them. Uh, either subconsciously or directly, is that the empire has has stolen from their lives, taken from their lives, killed somebody, um, and look, it it it, it kind of you know goes to show you how how you know from the very beginning, this entire saga of good and bad, light and dark, empire, uh, rebellion, you know, it, it's a fine line that you walk on one way or the other because oh, all yeah. of these people face tremendous adversity. And you go one of two way, two ways. You either repel off that adversity and rise up against it, or it it clouds you and you fall into the abyss and become a part of it. And like we and see that's with, literally the two options. Like we see with the deputy inspector Cyril Karn right after yeah. and these total do hard cops. And it reminds me a little bit of awesome episode of the mandalorian with bill burr yeah 
when he went in and he was talking just about what you're talking. It's all about perspective. Hey, who are the good guys or the bad guys? We thought we were the good guys. Right. You, we're just everyday people. And we thought we were fighting for the right cause. But now you tell me that we were on the wrong side and you were on the right. You know, it's it's all about how you frame it. We, you know, we we live in a wrestling world, right? All the best villains think they're the good guy. Sure. In their yeah, story. Yeah, 100%. I mean, just like. Just like Finn, you know, in, in, in the three the three movies, you know, he was taken, he was he was brainwashed by the Empire or attempted brainwash, made into a, a stormtrooper. And those stormtroopers are fighting for what they think is right. They think they are on the side of, you know, basically uh, controlling a civilization, uh, having things organized, avoiding chaos, avoiding an uprising. And the people that are in the uprising feel like they are uprising against an oppressive, you know, overlord. And you literally have two people, much like you do in modern times, who are full on one side or the other. You know, you have the authoritative figures who think that the authoritative way and keeping people down and controlling them is the right right way to go about things. And the people that rise up against them think that's the right way to go about things. It plays out the same way throughout Star Wars. Then we follow Cassian into his back into his home and we meet some of his friends and some of the people that he is closest with keep in mind this guy's on the run for a murder now yeah he just committed a couple murders of cops so he has to get away but he doesn't realize that they are already starting to you know they're 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 gonna find out about this he killed a couple cops there's going to be some information out there he doesn't exactly know how much but he has to go Connect with some of his friends First up it's Brasso who is like his best buddy And he helps him craft a story Which is great and I loved how You know this is a true buddy Because it doesn't take Cassian more than Five seconds of sort of tell it Like hey look this is what happened last night And Brasso just jumps right in He goes no you were kind of being A jerk and you stood up and if I popped You back you know he played along with it And so he knows his buddy Cassian They've been through a few brawls before And they've probably done some shady stuff themselves So he's happy to cover for his friend And then we also meet Bix Who is a a smuggler Very attractive girl Old friend of Cassian's Seems like they've either had Some sort of a a love interest before Or it's kind of like The on again off again One that got away Um, And then we actually meet Her jealous love interest Tim who ends up being the uh, the backstabber that is uh, is going to really make a, a huge drunken decision in uh, in a short while that that sets a lot of things in motion. So and, I, and by the way, that's a really good point because his decision is not based on anything related to uh you know being on the side of an empire or being involved in no, his decision is literally jealousy because his girlfriend has a history with this guy. Yep, and he's a little too drunk. Yep, and. And like that's it. And and what makes you feel even worse is like the night that he sells, he, he, the night that he sells out Cassie and Andor. He follows his girl, his girlfriend Bix, to see where she went. They were supposed to go out and have a date that night. She blows him off to go meet with Cassian because she has to help Cassian with his plan. And when Tim sees it, he gets a little drunk, a little more jealous, and he goes and turns in Cassian. And that ends up being the big tip that leads to. The, the cops being able to start to gather information on him because mm-hmm. at, at what we see right before this DZ when we're when we're the first time introduced to these 
officers were introduced to Deputy Inspector Cyril Karn, who, you know, he has a big report on everything that happened. And when he has his report on the murder of these two cops, the man that he's reporting to, Chief Hine, his superior, he does not care at all. He wants to sweep this under the rug. He even says the less crime that we report to the Empire, the better. They want to stay out of sight, out of mind, so that way it seems like everything that they're doing and all of their policing is well. The more crime that they report, it looks bad on their end. So these guys aren't trained soldiers. They're not trained storm. They're not stormtroopers. They're just like hired security guards worried about their patrol- job. Yeah, you know, yeah. to patrol these places. And so, like anything, some of them are out drinking and don't care. But you're gonna get a few guys like this one. Cyril Karn, like the guy that we meet in episode two, uh, Sergeant Linus Mosk, they think, hey, we do well here. We'll be promoted. Right. We can be a big part of the empire soon. Yeah. That it's, it's not anything, again, you know, these guys are presented as antagonists, but in reality, they're just doing the job they were hired Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. Yeah. They're not they're trying bad to do it guys. well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if anything, the, the guy who's trying to sweep it under the rug, who we probably all like that guy because, you know, he's not worried about going after Cassian, who's obviously our protagonist, you know, but but in the end, that guy's the most corrupt guy of them all because he's saying, I don't care if there's crime, just don't tell anybody about it. It looks like we're doing a great job. And then we move up the ranks of the empire. He's yeah. actually the really bad guy. But yep. it, it's portrayed like that the, that the young upstart guy who wants to get you know, this guy that murdered his coworkers, his fellow cops. Yeah. yeah. He's not doing anything wrong, you know, but, but he's presented as the antagonist, which is, you know, again, goes into that whole fine line that you walk on within, within the star Wars saga. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so the chief asks this deputy inspector, Cyril Karn to make up a story. Um, you know, don't make them seem like they, uh, they were helpful, but not too noble. We don't want any, right. we don't want anyone to ask questions here. Yeah. They messed with the wrong guy at the wrong time. Got into a fight with the wrong guy. That's basically he, what he said. Yeah. Even says, Oh, I knew one of these guys. He was a horrible human being. <laughs> He's yeah. an awful person. And, yeah. uh, and th- this doesn't sit right with the, the other deputy inspector, Cyril Karn, cause he just doesn't feel right about this. He wants to ask. And he wants to investigate, so he keeps and continues to look more into this. As uh, I mean, that's pretty much the end of episode one. Is with Cassian interacting with a guard named Pegla. We actually also see him run into a guy who he owed a little bit of money to, and there's this big creature named Vetch who is played by Ian White. He was the giant in Game of Thrones, which I thought was also really cool. Yeah, um, makes sense. It, um, Cassian's trying to sell of imperial a piece of imperial hardware. He has come across an imperial tracking unit, so that's he needs to gain money so he can get the hell out of here right now. Buy him a little bit of time for what he's done recently. He can take care of his family and pay off some of his debts. Seems like he owes money in a a lot of little places, and we do get one final flashback that ends the episode where we see the children. In Canari, they're all preparing to go investigate what the big explosion was. They saw something falling out of the sky. So it looks like the older kids in the tribe are all getting ready to go, and they're going to leave the the younger kids and some of the girls behind. So it's a moment where – and Cassian looks like – I mean, you say 10, 12. 
Yeah, about that. You know, and he looks like at this point where you're sort of like kind of annoyed with your younger sister. Almost, you know, like that age where you're kind of like, I'm the older brother. He has this moment where I think at that time, he's not, he obviously isn't realizing this is going to be the last time he he sees his sister when he walks yeah. off. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Good point. So, um, yeah, that's, that's episode one. And what's nice is we really flow like right into the next episode as, you know, we, we have this Cyril Karn deputy inspector. He sends out a bulletin. Asking all Canari men in for questioning. He wants to find out what happened with this murder, and the which only is thing- important because apparently nobody's ever heard of the place. And this is yeah. a planet that doesn't exist anymore. It was an older planet. And keep in mind, the only reason why they know some things about Canari is because Cassian was sort of asking about Canari right when he went in, and he was asking about a girl from Canari. So they just put two and two together, and they want to. You know, send out a bulletin. So he's basically wanted now. The where he's a, a bit lucky is not many people know this story about Canari, as you said, and and that's something that we address early on in episode two when we meet his mother figure, Marva, and she's kind of interesting, Darren, because again, it all comes down to how something is shown or portrayed. She is someone who. Quote unquote saves and rescues Cassian But we actually see her Drug a kid And kidnap him realistically Yep pretty much Pretty much found a wild kid and said "All right, he's coming with me (laughs) Now the circumstances were In one of those flashbacks Cassian and his group of kids Were investigating And she came upon him She realized that he was in danger And she did actually Help to save his life and he probably wouldn't be around if it wasn't for that. But again, it's so you said that fine line on just yep. how you shift the portrayal or the perspective of something for this woman, Marva, who's obviously been very good to him. She's taken care of him. She's been a foster mother to him. But she did take a child out of his home against his will without any. Obviously, he spoke a different language, but without any conversation as to where, you know, do you have any parents? You know, like. Nothing. There was no, there was nothing there that she went off of where, you know, he's an orphan, his parents are dead, whatever. She just, she just made a decision. She's taking the kid. Um, so, you know, again, like you said, fine line, because if somebody finds out about that, you know, they could simply say, she's not a hero. She abducted and kidnapped a 10 year old kid. So interesting. We open very, very interesting. Th- this episode with another flashback in that the group of the young kids, they actually use blow darts for their weapons. Mm-hmm. And they walk over towards this. So obviously a very primitive society. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very, very primitive. Because at this point, at this point in the galaxy, you got lightsabers, you got, you know, blasters, you've got pretty much any weapon known to mankind. And these kids are using blow darts. So that tells you just how, you know, prehistoric or unadvanced this particular planet is. And the kids are walking around investigating what happened. They, we see this huge pit, like a huge hole in the ground that, Looks like where they had like a mining uh, area. There was a big crash of the falling ship. It almost looks like a bomb went off, you know, like some sort of crazy attack. And throughout some of these flashbacks, that's when Cassian and the kids go to investigate. And the girl that looks like she's the leader of the tribe 
she actually gets killed by one of the remaining adults that's alive. And in response to that, all the children retaliate. They kill that man, and they go to look to kind of clean up and rummage through the remains of the crash. That's when Cassian comes across Marva, and that's how Cassian is taken to Ferrix, and that's how Cassian becomes Cassian Andor because Marva is her last name is actually Andor. So he's he's been able to use the name. Casa that he had as a child And the name Andor from Marva To create his own Unique history And experience as Cassian Andor uh, The one thing I really thought was cool Darren was the time grappler Is what he's called in Ferrix The man who strikes the big bell Every day And he yeah. has this routine It's like an ancient practice As you said There aren't clocks on the walls all over the place they they announce when it's time to go to work, when it's curfew, when you know it's probably dinner time. They announce the important events with sound of the bells. And what's really cool is the people in the town they also communicate with each to each other on like ringing of bells, ringing of of all sorts of metals and aluminum and scrap. It's 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 really cool how important this ritual and this routine seems to this guy who's he, he's got his his setup every morning. He doesn't just walk up and hammer the thing a few times. It's like he respects this process. No, he he does. Like and, and, and you could see how deliberate it is. You could see the thought he goes into. Uh, it's not just uh, an alarm that sounds, but basically means time to go to work. You know, this guy comes out and he is. It's it's and it's so interesting. Like. You wonder, how do you come up with that character? Like, how do you say, I'm going to have this guy who's one thing he's going to do. I know, he's so going to come out with these mallets and very uh, intently and very, you know, purposefully going to hit these mallets on this thing that's like a bell. But he, he's going to have a real purpose in how he does it. How do you come up with that? <laughs> it's just amazing. And it's, it's one of those little small things that it just it adds to the town. Right, yep. it's like a little window dressing on it that really, like, makes you feel like this place is more real. And we we see the town starting their day, like everybody getting up in the morning, everybody you know, getting ready to go to work, and we actually see Bix's love interest Tim and Bix there. The message that has come through that has been sent out by Karn says that Premore Authority. Are seeking a Canary male resident of Pharynx for questioning. Citizens with any information, please contact the Preox Morlana Security Headquarters without delay. So now some of the people who know Cassian saw this and realized one of the only people that I've ever heard of from Canary is Cassian. And knowing that he's gotten into some trouble here and there, what did he do now? Um and, and I just love how we're seeing the daily life of these people, their working life, these oppressed people. And we see like the tensions rising. We see how difficult things are for them, that the empire has forgotten about them, doesn't care about them. Um, and you, you understand why there were people like Cassian who felt the need to rise up. Like we're seeing it overall, what led to these people want to rebel against the empire. Yeah, and you know that's something that is common throughout the galaxy, and in, in in small corners of different 
different planets throughout the Star Wars saga, that there's different uprisings that obviously all contribute to this one giant rebellion. And then there's the vast majority of people who just kind of go along with their miserable lives that they can't stand. Um, and that's that's the difference between, you know, the people that just kind of fall into that same pattern, same routine, and the people that end up, you know, rising up and forming a rebellion and forming what, you know, a resistance, uh, bring back, you know, trying to bring back the Republic. Um, you know, it's it's kind of the nuts and bolts of what makes up the entire Star Wars saga. So we then meet Marva Andor. This is his mother-like figure who found him as a child. She's protected him, and she knows people are looking for him now because she's probably never heard of Canari other than him. And doesn't and there's not people out there that are talking about being from Canari because Canari doesn't exist anymore, and she knows that she probably got one of the last people off Canari. Um, so they created a BS story as a cover story for him. They said that he was from Fest, an Outer Rim planet, and it is kind of funny, like. We're led to believe that he is a womanizer because she starts asking about all these women. She's like, who yeah. did you tell? And which of the women was it? She starts naming all these different women. Uh, she yeah. does at one point mention Bix, but uh, he he's a good looking dude, man. You know, he he's going to get yeah. some hits. No, did, 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 you ever, did you ever notice, by the way, how many planets are in the outer rim? <laughs> I know, yeah. It's like it's like how is it the outer rim if all of Isn't these it, planets that come up outer, are all in the outer the rim? rim? I was gonna where, say, where's the, the where's the regular rim? How many planets are inside of that then? If yeah. that's the outer rim, exactly. Uh, but uh, Cassian has to go meet with Bix because he's trying to get his his object sold. And Bix, since she's a smuggler, she has a lot of the connections that are gonna help Cassian find the right person to sell to. But she was supposed to go hang out with her her boyfriend Tim that night. Uh, she tells Tim, hey, look, I have somewhere to go. Well, can we meet tomorrow instead? He can sense that she's going to meet with Cassian, but he wants to be sure. So he follows them to see what's going on. And they're at a bar. They're having a drink. But it's, it's nothing. Like, they're not involved romantically in any way, shape, or form, which is sort of what Tim thinks. You know, he's jealous. and And he steps way over here as he... Gives the information that leads to the authorities looking for Cassian. He goes over to a, a a payphone basically, and gives the tip. And we actually on the other end of that call, we see the cops answering, and they start to search for Cassian Andor. He's wanted for questioning on insurrection, assault of an imperial officer, and destruction of imperial property. There wasn't anything about Canari listed, but that was the catalyst to. If it wasn't for this phone call, they would have not ever had a chance to find him based on what they're dealing with, with all these cops and security places where people don't really care and aren't really trying to go above and beyond. It would have been very difficult for them to ever find anything without this tip. Yeah, no, that, that that's 100%. And, and, and that, but if you realize that that is a, a lot of what goes on in terms of whether it be Empire or First Order, um, a lot of things is them, you know, offering rewards for tips. I mean, we see it throughout the movies. We yep. see people, we see people in bars, you know, sending in things, you know, this is found, a very real life thing too. Yeah. People will do whatever for money all the time for jobs, for this or that. I mean, we see people sell themselves out all the time for the right endorsement, the right pat on the back, the right connection to this person, you know, and it, it does feel real. It does. Um, to it get does, get yeah. yourself ahead, right? 
You know, everyone thinks they have this great moral code, but it, when it comes down to it, when you need to eat or you need to do what's best for you and your family, sometimes it's Robin Hood and you're doing things that are a little shady. Uh, but yeah, Tim, this was bad for Tim. He makes the call that uh, that sets the whole thing in motion. And we see Sergeant Linus Musk. Man, this dude. So what's funny about him and um, the other officer that we're introduced to, Karn, these are the two major officers that we're dealing with here. Karn is more higher ranking, but Karn is a total office desk guy. Like he's been doing paperwork and reports forever. He has no experience whatsoever. He's not trained. He's never been out like in the line of duty. But he he like puffs his chest out, you know, because he stays up all night writing reports. He thinks he could he could be this great cop. Musk is sort of the opposite. He's more of a an actual doer. He seems like someone who might have been trained at some point in some some sort of old military training. But he wants more power. He thinks he deserves it. He takes his job seriously, and he has a, a conversation with Karn where he's he actually says, "We can sense groups rising up, not happy with us. Pockets are fermenting." And these two kind of connect because they're two of the few people that really take their job seriously, and they think, "Okay, we're investigating this murder. We're going to go in here. We're going to find everything out quickly." You know, they think what's going to happen is what what happens in the movies. They'll be able to just cops will come right in, take care of it, no problem. They're not realizing that the people that they're serving, they don't want them around. Right. Yeah. Which which is a common thing in Star Wars. You know, the the, the people don't like having you know authoritative figures there. They they really the crux of everything in Star Wars for the majority of people is they just want to be left alone to live their lives. Um, now there's in a lot of planets, there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on. There's a lot of swindlers. There's a lot of thieves. There's a, a lot of people that would do anything for money. So naturally they don't want security police type in place. Um, and at times they often prefer to surround themselves with people like themselves who, you know, are scavengers, you know, will fight for scraps, will not have to answer to anybody, will not have to steal stuff and and bring it to the empire in order to be able to pay for their dinner that night. Um, So that's, that's at the core of what a lot of, you know, these different planets, uh, you know, what goes on. And um, that's a cool thing that they, um, that they're able to kind of hold on to that theme, regardless of where we go in the saga, you know, it's about 70 years from, you know, Phantom Menace to the end of, uh, Uh, Rise of Skywalker and throughout those 70 years that goes on everywhere that they always find a way to make sure that they drive home that point that you just made Uh, and it's consistent throughout all the different Star Wars uh, series and movies which is extremely important to make it all flow now uh, we actually see Luthen played by Stellan Skarsgård and Luthen we are going to find out he's looking for people initially we think he's looking for uh, a device, which he is, but really he's looking for people for the fight, people willing to get their hands a little dirty, like Cassian. We get uh, another flashback of the the kids. We we see a lot of the adults that are dead with some sort of this yellow gas. They have a patch on them that looks like a separatist patch, and it 
seems like this these are in the final years of the Clone Wars if we're looking at sort of the timeline here. This is when the children's leader goes to investigate and she gets killed and then the kids uh, fire back in retaliation. So uh, spoke about that flashback a little bit earlier, but that actually leads to seeing Cassian trying to get ready to go. He has his equip. He he got what he needs and he goes over to try to find a uh, this was very Han Solo. He goes to ask for some transportation. No questions asked, please. You know, I need to leave in a little bit. Don't ask me where we're going, what we're picking up, what we're doing. Get, just give me in and out. And the guy says, okay. And they barter a little bit about the price. Seems like this is someone who's worked with Cassian a little bit before. Um, so, yeah, we just kind of see him, DZ, getting, trying to, to get ready to make this transaction and then get out of there. He knows he needs to, to buy some time for a while because, you know, everyone's looking for him now. And we see the, Security officer Mosk try to fire up the troops, and then then afterwards the other officer Karn gives less of a less he's less of a speaker. He gives a yeah. little little less inspiring speech, but Mosk still kisses his ass there. These are not trained soldiers; these are private security guys getting ready to go into a hostile place, and they just don't know what's coming. Yeah, yeah, you hit all the hit all the right notes there. I I I glad you brought up the thing. About the separatist patch um, on the on the the guys that uh, you know were strewn about it from the crash ship, and I was really having a hard time based on the timeline. I understand maybe we're still at the tail end of the Clone Wars here, but I mean, you know, the Clone Wars I could have sworn were were done, you know, I know long before, you know, yeah. by like nineteen or twenty BBY. Dooku is long dead at this point. Uh, he's dead about 15, 16, 17 years. Where would there be separatists? Why Why would they be there? What- and, and Marva actually says at one point that it was a republic when she she says he killed the, – these kids killed a republic officer or a republic agent, which is bizarre because I don't know if that was just a mistake on her end, not knowing, but there has to be something more to that, and that's yeah. – that's – Absolutely going to be a talking point, I think, moving forward. I think, I, I think I think who those people are and what that ship was, I think that's going to be very important. Absolutely. Um, and I and at this point, I have I, I don't know. Because like you said, I saw the same patch you saw, and I was trying to draw a connection. Um, because separatists are not the Empire, they're mm-hmm. obviously not the Republic. When Dooku died, you f- pretty much figured they were gone. But here we are 15 years later with these random guys showing up with separatist pads. So what exactly is that? Now, you know, the separatists were sometimes called like rebels by the empire. Um, and I don't know if there's going to be a connection there, but I- I'm kind of curious to see how that comes together because um, so far, the only thing that we have connecting what's transpiring here to the actual quote unquote Skywalker saga is the, re- the recognizing of the empire and the separatist patch and that patches. And, and that's pretty much it. We move into episode three and I'll, I'll sort of hit all the flashbacks again from, from this episode together. So we get cut and edited flashbacks of young Cassian as he's walked into this ship that's crashed and that's when Marva arrives with her partner Clem. They're scrappers. They're just trying to to scavenge every anything that's there. Yep. And they see a child 
who he's going kind of berserk. First off, he's kind of having fun. It's like a kid in a spaceship, and he's looking around, and there's all these buttons and things that he's like probably never seen before. And then he actually sees a reflection of himself, which tells you, man, this kid probably hasn't seen himself in a reflection or even understood how much time has passed, how old he is now. And it it makes the kid go a little crazy. He starts destroying everything around him. And as Marva and Clem hear the noise, they realize that this kid is going to get himself killed because people are going to come looking for the ship that just crashed and the other adults who are dead. This kid is going to hurt himself. I don't know if she even saw other kids that outside that maybe were killed or that are be- being captured. Who knows? But she really has the sense that she needs to save this kid. And by the so way, much- I, here, here's a question that I think falls into this timeline. Maybe you can answer. At this point, I have come to the conclusion that there's some kind of a toxin on this planet. Yes, yes. They, the people from this ship, have either been killed by it or they've been passed out, turning yellow. And then we see some of the guys get up eventually. Why are the people on the planet, like these kids in Marva, not affected? It almost seems like they've been, like, they've their immune system and their body has gotten used to it. Possibly. You know, something like that. Because you're absolutely right. Marva and Clem come in and they're wearing masks too. Right. They're wearing gas masks. But young Cassian is not. He walks right. around, has no problem walking into the ship, walking yep. out of the ship. Whether this was gas that was on the planet, that it came from this crash, that it was just from the mining area. It does not impact these children. Is this something that impacts adults and not children? I, right. I don't, you know, that's also another great point. But it is, it's a strange scene when you see her get what they call the, uh, I think she said the drowser. She uses it to basically, you know, yeah, give him a shot to put him unconscious, and then Not like giving him a Tylenol PM or Nyquil. Yeah, knocks <laughs> knocks him out, and then she they take him away. We actually see the final the final scene in this episode is a cut of edits of young Cassian leaving his home planet of Canari with Marva, and then we see the current modern day Cassian leaving his now home planet of Ferrix. With sort of the new foster leader, he's with Luthen now. So it's this real parallel of, you know, this is a character that is constantly getting taken or forced from his home. It's happened to him now multiple times, and that is one of the biggest reasons, as you've been pointing out all along. Why does this guy hate the Empire so much? Well, he's been uprooted from his family now multiple times. Yeah, and and now Luthen, as we start to hear them converse, we start to find out that Luthen knows a lot. Uh, He's been around, and he's obviously involved in what is going on between the Empire and the pre-rebellion rebellion, for lack of a better term, where he seems to know that the Empire killed Cassian's father. Um, talking about how he was hung in a square. Yep. Uh, which obviously angers Cassian, not understanding how he could know such things. Um, but this guy's done his homework. Like he, he's done his homework. Yep. He, and I think it's on two, it's twofold, right? One, he seems like if he's going to be buying a, a very like expensive piece of equipment from someone, 
he was trying to figure out exactly where this came from and that it wasn't a, a sting or he wasn't going to be getting set up. And I think, too, we find out when he's talking with Andor, when Luthen is, the, when he's asking about this item, and I don't know if this is the case, it almost seems like this item was in a place where whoever took it was the person he wanted. Right. It was like, oh, if, if someone was able to get this, that's the person I want on my team because they don't have, they're not scared, they're willing to go do this, and they're going to be someone that I want to start this rebellion with. Yep. And yeah, they Luthen is a smart dude, and very quickly he actually starts to teach Cassian, which uh, which is kind of cool because within moments Cassian takes one of the lessons that he learns and he goes and uses it right away. You know, he uh, Luthen tells him one of the first things you have to do: you're in control of everything, no comms. You know, you can't let people know where you are. So Cassian is able to go and get the better of Deputy. Cyril Karn by doing the same thing He takes his communication away from him And The the conversation between Cassian and Luthen is very important because It's honestly Like the spark of the rebellion It, it feels like It does, it feels like in that moment Where Cassian pulls the gun on him Demanding to know How he knows what he knows And Luthen doesn't even flinch and talks about how I've been looking for somebody and I think I found it. Um, that in that moment could be the beginning of the rebellion, which is so cool because you know, there's so many different things in Star Wars canon that people that love this saga pine for. Seeing Vader at his prime power, seeing Luke in his prime power, you know, like uh the last episode of The Mandalorian, getting that two minutes of Luke. At peak Luke, force sensitive, you know, controlling everything where he can just destroy everybody. You know, there are there are people who have been pining for that for years. Um, and another moment that people have been pining for is the moment that this rebellion started. And the kind of interesting thing was we thought that's what Rogue One was. We thought Rogue One was how the rebellion started, but it turns out that Rogue One is just a continuation of a path that Cassian was already sent down. And as, you know, important as Jin Erso is to the rebellion cause, you can pretty much draw from these first ep- three episodes that the guy Luthen is literally point person number one. Yes. And Cassian is point person number two. Yeah. Now these cops arrive and Ferrix. The local authorities arrive. Uh, Officer Karn, man, he he is he looks terrified. Mosk looks a little more pumped for the battle. And what I, I thought was cool, um, Officer Karn, the actor who plays him, he said that in researching the role, he took a lot of motivation from some of the officers in between world wars. This was a point that you hit on, like some of the guys right after. Uh, the Nazis were around They had these officers who still felt like they were fighting For this cause but the right. cause Didn't care about them at all right. You're like you're in between These big parts of history where you still feel like You're holding on to something And I thought wow in, in hearing him say that I thought he portrays that that well um, In you can see In some of his inspiration here But man they they arrive And first up they go to harass Marva and, and B2 
And they actually find some of Cassian's communication devices in the droid. They physically are restraining his older mother here, and they can hear Cassian trying to talk with B2. So they right. find his location, and they're able to pinpoint where him and Luthen are having this meeting where they're going to uh, to sell. And man, like they got to these cops. You can just tell they're not smart, and they haven't done this before because they come into this town. This is an entire town. And they have a group of 14 people, 14 officers trying to patrol, you know, thousands. And they're roughing up some of the locals. And they're not realizing that this is pissing off the townspeople here. You know, Cassian's best friend Brasso knows that he's leaving. He ties a tow cable to one of these cops' ships. So it screws up their entire ship, just completely destroys it. One of the men in town named Solomon, he starts to... um, to ring some of the the bells and sort of play um, this almost like it's music to alert the rest of the townspeople that the local authorities have arrived, and they the townspeople stand up and they fight back against these local cops who they don't really know what hit them when they come in. It, within a few moments, Luthien and Cat Luther and Cass uh, Luthien and Cassian take out two or three of them now all of a sudden they're down to less than 10 cops trying to patrol all of these angry people yep Karn does just not realize he sent this group of cops in and and they had absolutely no chance trying to secure peace find out more about Cassian these people didn't want to give up one of their own nope no because you know and, and even if it's not about Cassian himself it's really just about the fact that, like you said before, we don't want you here. We're not going to comply with anything you want us to do. And if it's something that you're here to do, uh, we're going to rise up against it, which, again, is what the rebellion is based on. So you have in this moment kind of in a really cool way a foreshadowing of the next 35, 40 years of the Star yes. Wars saga. Because you have these representatives loosely connected as they may be, but representatives to that these people are representatives of the empire. And in that moment, you have this uprising against them. And it is, maybe it's the first, we don't know. We don't know if there has been more than Luthen trying to build some sort of a rebellion, but it's kind of cool that you have the microcosm of the entire Star Wars saga transpiring at the end of this episode. I don't know if people picked that up, yeah. but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's what was happening here. And uh, there's this awesome battle in that abandoned warehouse where uh, Cassian and Luthen were meeting. When some of the cops arrive, it's this like scrap metal warehouse, and there's all these big uh, pieces of equipment falling off. From the from the roof, they're having to dive and avoid it. Just it looks like something you'd play in a video game, like a yeah. level. It it yeah. looked really really cool visually, and Cassian is able to get the better of Karn. He takes out Karn's comms just like Luthen had told him. So we see he's a very quick learner. And this officer, Cyril Karn, he's when he's standing there watching the destruction. It's a like an eye-opening moment where he sees these men that he brought in. They thought they were going to come in and, hey, we're the good guys here. We're going to do everything right. right. We're going to find the bad guy. And there's they're literally blown up 
Half of these men are dead Some of them are, are without limbs, without arms Their ship has been destroyed And now they're stuck here With all of these angry people They didn't get any of the information that they want Mosque is on the radio screaming We need help, we need help I mean it is like a It's like what you would see Like a like something from war Yeah, Like, which a, is, like a battle scene Which is exactly I think what they were trying to portray Which is you know, the connection that I'm talking about between what you would see from the rebellion, because the rebellion was always this group of people who had to rise up against an organized, um, you know, overlord authoritarian authoritarian figure. And we've seen instances where they would be on radios. We need help. We, you know, and I, I think that's what they're going for here. And I and I and I think that's the connection that's being made. Um, and, and, you know, that's just they do so many cool things that you don't realize have distinct meaning that do double meanings yeah. yeah which you have to watch things more than once because you never pick it all up the first time you watch it so as luthan and cassian exit we um what's really cool he whistles to get his ship ready yeah. how badass is that like he whistles awesome. the ship to get yeah. it ready yeah. and they jump on the ship and as they're leaving that's when we get those intersects of flashes of young cassian when he was leaving canary with marva and now this older Cassian Andor, he's leaving Ferrix with Luthen. They're getting ready to start the rebellion. These two like-minded guys, they know that the Empire has gotten fat, lazy. Cassian was able to walk right in and take this big piece of equipment because they don't even think that someone can steal from them. But people are going to steal from them. And their world is about to change. The rebellion is upon us. It is about to spark DZ. We'll get you back to talk about more of these episodes because there's 12 of them along the way. But put a little bow on on what we saw in uh, episodes one through three. Give us some final thoughts. Yeah. Listen, if if you haven't watched it yet and you are one of those people who, you know, just want to see the beginnings of what the rebellion looked like in its very basic preliminary form, that's what this show is clearly about. That's what they're going to give you. And going into it, I didn't know what it was going to be about. I didn't know that that's what we were getting. Me neither. And they, you know what? They kept it pretty close to like, this wasn't something that had huge promotion where we were seeing a bunch of different trailers and a bunch of things where all these previews, it was like compared to Mandalorian and even Book of Boba Fett and even Obi-Wan, this was, and I think that almost helped the release and why people are, are so receptive to it because there wasn't all this hype for it. It yeah. wasn't a huge hype train. And and a lot of people were saying like why like you know he was a cool character in Rogue One, but why are they doing a why are they doing a series about him? And I my response was there's gotta be a reason. You wait he and ha- see, right? Yeah, he's gotta be important. There's gotta be a reason. And you find out he's more than important. He he could be the I mean it's entirely possible that he could be the reason for everything that happened, which is like you know, blowing my hair back in a huge way. Now, obviously, there's going to be other people involved, but you know, there's that image where the two of them are on the speeder, hightailing it out somewhere, and you're looking at two guys, and it's and there's a reason that they're giving you that look, where you know, one Luthen looking over his shoulder, and it's telling you, this is how it started, and I think that's awesome. Darren Zocali, 
One of uh, my best buds Always very lucky to have DZ share his time with us I know he's a busy man uh, Moving on up in the world at Twin Spires Head of loyalty and retention now And you still will see him giving some analysis here and there He's a great follow online at the track 7 Darren loves to talk racing Likes to talk all sports You'll see posts about some of the horses that he owns now With Thorough Crowd You'll see stuff about Star Wars Stuff about Disney All sorts of fun stuff Stuff about coaching You've uh, been the last year, couple years Done a really great job coaching basketball with your son So man, thanks for always being such a good buddy I love talking with you Whether it be racing, wrestling, Star Wars That's what the friends are for Just getting the chance to kind of nerd out And talk about cool stuff with your friends And I'm I'm always lucky The uh, the hundreds of hours that you've given through the years, buddy Thank you so much Oh, it's my pleasure Always happy to talk about these topics And uh, really looking forward to seeing where this show goes And Definitely coming back on with you to talk some more because I think it's going to be, uh, it, it, it's, I knew it was going to be something interesting, but this is more than I hoped for. And I'm exactly my feelings. Like I, I was always excited, but the first 10 minutes, they got me right away. It's like, yep. this is just a different feel for Star Wars. And I'm excited to see where we're headed. Make sure to join us each and every week. Now we'll just have more of a deep dive for each episode moving forward because we'll just have one each week. Uh, and there are 12 episodes, which is cool. We get a little bit more in this series than some of the others that had eight and nine. Darren, buddy, thank you so much. You have a great rest of your week and we'll talk again real soon. You got it, man. Thanks for having me on. Don't go anywhere, folks. We still have a lot more to come on this episode. Of That's what G said. So you want to set the mood, you're looking for something all natural, soy wax, non-toxic baby, scents for every season, now don't be afraid baby, just spell it out. C-E-R-A-N-O-S.com And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off, mmm, mmm. Episode 6 of She-Hulk This one's titled Just Jen Time for the deep dive Scene by scene recap and review Spoiler alert Tim Kelly and myself are going to go through Everything that happened in episode 6 Of She-Hulk Just Jen This is episode 6 in our 9 episode Installment so we still have 3 That remain and TK They teased us last week A huge (laughs) kind of cliffhanger And then right away in this episode they let us know I just to let you know that's not coming this week, you know, <laughs> which I yeah. guess I kind of appreciated um, that they gave us the heads up, and it was mm-hmm. sort of it was sort of a little tongue in cheek because early on Jen addresses us and says this is going to be a self contained wedding episode, which yeah. which it was, but we we did finally get some really important information at the end of this episode, uh, big info that we had been waiting for True. for a while. We found out who the big bad is. And and this group, the intelligentsia, that seems to be watching Jen, monitoring her, and trying to gain her type her powers from her blood. We don't exactly know what they want. We just know who they are. This group, the intelligentsia, who's been referenced in the comics, and they were basically introduced like uh, a proud boy message board online. Yeah. That's that's yeah, very very Reddit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So what, They're what continuing the uh, the whole echoing, like all all the stuff that's happening online and all the discourse around She-Hulk. They're c- kind of continuing to to echo that with what we see on, on screen, and it almost feels like they're taking 
actual social media posts and you know reddit posts and and youtube uh just changing the names and, and kind of repur- yeah repurposing them a little bit and, and they're showing up on this show that everything seems very very familiar uh and i like that i i personally i like it when they bring reality into into their world it makes everything feel a little bit more lived in and feels like it's reflective of you know our culture and our society and it gives at least the illusion that the show has something to say uh but at this point right now i'm 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 kind of iffy on it i feel like i'm i need more i need a little bit more moments in the show i need more laughs and uh i'm you know mildly charmed by it but i'm just i feel like there's something missing it's 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 a consistent feeling i've had in the middle of most of these disney plus series right like at this point of them it seems like with most of them we get a pretty good start for the first two couple episodes maybe like the first hour of the series overall if we're if we're Playing it like it's a big movie And then like the middle part of most of these Series struggle then the ends Have been kind of hit or miss there's Usually at least some fun things happening At the end and then they kind of point us In the next direction where we're going to go but A lot of these like In a vacuum again I have No Mm -hmm. problem with what happened at this Wedding right a lot of the stuff that Happened made sense it's cute There Mm -hmm. were a couple funny spots along The way but Mm -hmm. I know What you're saying it feels like it just felt like for them, there's a little something missing with it. And I can't, it's like you almost can't quite put your finger on it, but it does, again, like this was a pretty quick 30-minute episode that it felt like right when things start to get going, it's done. Yes. You know, I, again, and I feel like that that way week to week. I'm like, this episode yeah. is done already. There's just not enough there there. Uh, and, and we're not getting... For two weeks in a row, we haven't gotten a mid-credit scene either. Um, yeah, and that's disappointing every time. <laughs> which hurts. Which yeah, I was gonna say, which just sort of hurts a little bit. And I think in this particular episode, you know, I'm kind of wondering right now too. So we're two thirds of the way. We have three episodes mm-hmm. left. We haven't brought Daredevil in. We still have to tie mm-hmm. up whatever's going on with Bruce and the Sicarian ship, as she yeah. again was calling, trying to get a hold of him, and we haven't. Been black, uh, been back to Blonsky or dealt with anything with him again, which I was expecting yeah. maybe a little bit more to deal with. So it does feel like just the way these, um, like the way they're formatted and the layout of them, it's like yeah. they try to do a whole lot in those first couple episodes. Then in the middle, it really slows down. And then at the end, they got to try to jam a whole lot of like stories together at, at the end. Mm-hmm. It, it's felt like kind of a pattern with a few of these. Again, it's not. Like it's bad what I'm watching Uneven maybe is a feeling That I have certainly yeah With some of them and I gotta say uh, I think one of the main reasons for that Is characterization And just Inconsistent characterization like uh, I see characters that just Do things at the beginning of an episode That completely contradict what happens At the end of an episode or vice versa Like they're, they're just not consistent and, and it, That's not to say that um, the show Is is um you know, showing like an arc or change or growth in the characters. It's not, it's not, that's not what I'm talking about. That's usually a good thing. Uh, it's just that there's no like consistency or, to the characters where they feel real or lived in, or, or it feels like what the characters do from moment to moment just kind of serves what story the uh, writers are trying to tell or whatever story mm-hmm. beat they're trying to tell because it doesn't really coalesce into what I would call a story. Well, what's funny is. 
it feels to me like extremes because yes, I like yeah. I, I, I like Jen and Jen feels mm-hmm. real. Like Jen, yeah. like her as a character feels like a person. She feels real. I think Tatiana Maslany's done a great job with her. Like she's funny. She's adorable. Like I like the character. I like a lot of what she's done. And then some of the side characters, I very much enjoy. Like the main <laughs> side characters. Um, like Nikki, yeah. I think is kind of cool. We've talked about Pug. Um, mm-hmm. they brought in Mister Immortal. Dave Piscuasey, mm-hmm. who is fantastic. He was in Star Wars, in Mandalorian, yeah. or in uh, Book of Boba, Book Fett, of Boba Fett. And yeah. he, like, he just plays the role of the character that he had perfectly. But then there's yeah. some of her dates, some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And maybe it's because there's a shroud of mystery around them. But comparing, and, and yeah. I won't give any spoilers at all for this show, but... Comparing this show to Andor, I don't know if you've watched it yet or not. Uh, there was a three-part release this week. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to release anything from the show, period. But the mm-hmm. characters in that show, the people, yeah. they all feel so real. Everything right. feels like you know what they've done when they come home from work. Like you see their home, the inside of it. You kind of like feel what they're doing. This. I mean, was this wedding real, or was this like a mock wedding? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I've been to hundreds of weddings, literally working in, a, in, a, in the events industry. I'm um, the director of production for a company called Vox DJs. Um, and there were little things that, like, were kind of parodied well, little details about, like, the design of the weddings. And, like, even, like, the location felt very authentic. But the way people behaved is just so absurd and unrealistic I know. and in, again, inconsistent. Like the way the bridesmaids are they're making just, her do. They're so mean girls to her, right. like in a, as an adult, making her do the laundry and stuff like that. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it takes it a little bit too far to where you, you don't believe it. And then it's not funny enough to where it feels like, Oh, this is like an outrageous farce where it, you know, Slap it's supposed to be you. over the top. There's, there's not enough substance to it. Uh, to, there's not enough laughs period and it's a comedy and but like that's what we're we're looking for and i think a lot of the the laughs are, are missing in a way because they're really trying to force these comedic ideas down very heavy-handedly um you know when bridesmaids and and brides uh, in real life when they aren't the best it's a little bit more subtle you know when they're not good people or when they're being selfish or whatever it's it's a little bit more masked. It's a little bit more buried within, you know, trying to, to save face and trying to keep up appearances and, and and trying to be a good person at the end of the day. People, even people who, you know, have their issues, they're still trying to be a good person generally. This uh, was too high school. Yeah, ex- exactly. It, and even high school, it doesn't feel like that. It's, it's yeah. too over the top and ham-fisted. And then it doesn't get any laughs out of that. So it's like, what are we doing here? So um, <laughs> we do get introduced to Mr. Immortal, though, who can yeah. he is like his name, Immortal. He yeah. has faked identities throughout hundreds of years, and he fakes his own death in order to get out of marriages because he hates confrontation. Yeah. His B story was pretty funny with all the different spouses 
and just seeing all of them interact. And we got um, Mallory and Nikki working together a little bit and them becoming friends. So that was sort of the B story here while Jen was at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And she's just getting plastered at the wedding, getting drunk. She meets a guy, Josh. Is this an yeah. actual nice guy or is this a guy who's a front? Because now I think we, it's, right. we have to sort of ask this question all the time with her dates. Very true. Uh, and given what we've seen so far that like literally all the men in this world are are just bad <laughs> in one way or another, uh, this guy's too good to be true. I know. Uh, that, that, that's that's the, the vibe that, that I get right now. I do feel that they could absolutely be going for a sincere love interest here. Uh, but the way that they've set up this world right now, I'm just like, I, I I don't quite buy it. And I think a lot of people are picking up on that just because it's, it's inconsistent with kind of the worldview of this, of this show um, that there's no, no guys are really like well-intentioned on this show. I guess pug is relatively well-intentioned, but they still kind of make him seem like a silly person. They still yeah, this- kind of, yeah, emasculate him a little bit or whatever you want to call it. And and I, I'm not sure if I mean we don't even see the groom at the wedding, do we? Ever? Who no? Who that, and that was a big. And I, I know there was um some people were wondering if it was a uh, forgive me I, I forget the name was it Trevor was that millionaire guy that was the uh, the client. Oh uh, well, yeah yeah. Like people were assuming maybe maybe it could be him or somebody related to him i saw people speculate i highly doubt that but maybe something related to him like a, co- a colleague or some connection to the intelligentsia um yeah because we don't get we don't get a look at him and then actually in the post credits in the um the art that we see in the in you know after the after each episode some of the it, there's actually unique art in a lot of it at the end that just kind of gives you clips yeah. that looks like things may have happened. There's clips of Lulu hooking up with Chet with DJ right. Chad with the in, when Ch- the Inchettable Hulk. They're just they're hooking up yeah. in the, in the photo booth. So it's like, wow, okay, okay, that's Lulu for you. Yeah, there was something weird about this wedding because she was so mean. You were like, why would she mm-hmm. even want Jen at her wedding? Like if you if you dislike right. that person so much, why would you even invite them? I mean, yeah, really? I guess they kind of had an answer for it in the episode, in that they they were basically using her to yeah. clean up and things like that. But, but yeah, it just didn't make any sense. Like the, the bride, I didn't buy her as as a character and her motivations. Me like, neither. It, it just felt inconsistent, and the, the the turn too. Like she was very upset in the beginning that Jen showed up as as She Hulk, and then why? And that's actually. Not kind of cons- like that is to me a little bit understandable, even just from a bride's perspective, because they want to be about her. And, and I kind of even had the thought at that time, like, damn, that's a little bit oblivious of Jen, you know, to, to show up like that. I, I would have mm-hmm. assumed that she would yeah, have had that respect to just not make it about her and show up as She-Hulk. Like, uh, but, you know, it is what it is. But then, like, when she's She-Hulk later in the episode, you know, uh, jumping ahead to toward the end here and she kind of hugs Jen. I, I couldn't even read what was happening in that scene i watched it two or three times i'm like was she too drunk and then she just had a change I, of heart or was she trying to save space in front of yeah and you know I what i saw new rockstar said the exact same thing too i was i was shocked i was like oh, okay this is very clearly you know an un an unclear thing that's happening on screen right here and what's funny too is i saw a, a, a number of commentators um 
talking about that, that actress and how much they love that actress and think she's really funny. And I guess she's um, a pretty well-known improviser in the L.A. scene. That's part of why uh, the people I saw uh, had recognized her or knew her. But uh, even with that, you know, you know, gushing over her, they still pointed out that moment and how it just felt off. And again, I think it comes down to like inconsistent characterization in the writing. Even just a line there, one line would have helped right. us if she was just like, oh, my God, you saved the wedding. Yeah. Like, like, oh, OK. Like, at least she's like, oh, Titania was making a scene and She-Hulk sort of saved it. Like, and ti- cool. Or like, I don't even know why I was mad at you earlier. I'm so drunk. You know, like something right. like that. Just like one line to like, I just, oh, OK, yeah. she's drunk. Like, and we can kind of move. But since they don't give it to you, this character who said right before, don't show up and don't be She-Hulk. Jen even yeah. is expecting her to be mad. And then they just blow right past yeah. it like it's nothing. It's just, it was bizarre. It was like there's and in what you said and what you pointed out, how I didn't know the girl who played Lulu all that well, but that some of the mm-hmm. others did. You were wondering if mm-hmm. maybe there was she was gonna be back, there was more to the story. Was this all a setup from Titania? I was thinking at one point, like just to mm-hmm. try to get Jen here to set her up, but that did not seem the case. And even yeah. in watching it back again you know jen mentions right away at the start of the episode that this is a longtime family friend right who you know, they haven't is... spoke with in a, in, in a while too so that could make it you know that that could make it a possibility that you know there's a motivation beyond just wanting her at her wedding yeah like maybe she's re you know reconnecting for you know a more nefarious reason due to whoever she's marrying and and his connections uh that that could be a possibility but I just don't know that they planted the right amount of clues in this story to really make that come together in a satisfying way. I agree. Well, let's dive into the scene-by-scene breakdown of She-Hulk Episode 6, Just Jen. We get the previously on, and then the Marvel Studios title. And we see Jen in her apartment. There's a, a package that's arrived in the mail. It's decorated and it's very, very decorated. It's like a, a craft yeah. store just puked on this thing. Like, it's just glittery, everything possible, um, flowery. She opens it up. Glitter just shoots in her face. A yeah. party horde sound, and it pops in her face. And there's yeah. a card that asks, will you be my bridesmaid? And then the next <laughs> card reads, duh, of course you will. Which and it also had glitter in it. There was a second round of glitter, and uh, I got to give a credit where it's due. That did make me chuckle a little bit. The the, the glitter gag in this scene because everybody hates glitter. You get, now now it's everywhere. It's all over you, and it's not coming off. So Jen is off to a wedding, and Nikki uh, helps Jen pack for the wedding to get ready. She tells her, "Oh, uh, I want to see the super suit that he made you." Jen shows that Luke Jacobson actually made her a new dress to take. To the wedding and the rehearsal dinner So she's going to be uh, Headed off and she even Looks at us and lets us know That this is going to be A self-contained wedding Episode uh, But her and Nikki yeah. just talk a little Nikki actually calls her shulky Which is yeah. something she's trying to, to get going I don't know if that's going to work here You think so? Right. Shulky? <laughs> no, not, a, not at all <laughs> Uh, doesn't have a good ring to it uh, in the slightest. But I also I, I want to point out that um, 
when she breaks the fourth wall here, Jen says this is happening at a very inopportune time in the season, something like that. Um, and yeah, that's kind of going back to what you said of like, we just got this stinger at the end of the last episode where we're all stoked on daredevil. Like, why did they show us the, the, the that, you know, the new daredevil cowl and then jump into this other story that has really nothing to do with that. And like, just completely leave us hanging on there. At least they address it though. And, and they, they pointed out it's, it's inopportune because we're all hyped for, for the daredevil thing. And you know, now we're going to get a wedding episode that has nothing to do with that. And a B story. That's kind of funny. And it doesn't, it's weird because it doesn't completely bother me because I know we're going to get it. Like we know he's right. coming daredevil, but the, at the same time, it, if there was this episode and then the other episode right mm-hmm. after, like that they were both yeah, released dude. at the same time, then I would have like laughed even more because I would have been like, okay, they are really teasing us, but the next episode is going to be right after. But it's like, right. yeah, they're making you wait another week or two. This it's really done. was a Ralph Bonery type of thing that they did to us, you know? Yeah, like, big it time. was a little bait and switchy. Uh, nonetheless, and also I wonder, and this reminds me because you you pointed this out. They maybe shuffled the the episode the order the episode. here. You're right. And so I feel that uh, a, a little bit. And I wonder, and you know, you mentioned this earlier in this podcast that, you know, the the order, it feels like it was kind of front loaded with, you know, um, larger arc stuff, like big, mm-hmm. big story, uh, Bruce. serialized story stuff. And then now they're they're sandwiching all the like one off stuff in the middle. And I think that that actually gives it a little bit of an uneven flow to it like i I wonder if if it was written a certain way it probably should be shown that way and then there's there would be a more natural arc and i wonder if there would be all these complaints that i'm I'm having or if some of those would be you know kind of solved by this or maybe if the shuffling required them to even remove some scenes that's maybe making some context or some things not land quite right because there's there's a scene or a shot or a line missing that you know had to do with something that's supposed to come later, but now they can't use it. It almost feels like they they took what they had to these test <laughs> groups, right? You know, and then they would get a little bit of feedback and then add like one or two things or alter one or two things, and and yeah. maybe it helped overall when we're done. But it's like operation, right? We're in the middle of it right now, and right. it's kind of hard to make all the sense of everything because we're scratching our head on, on a little bit of the strings that we have to keep pulling, like pulling a string over here and then another one yeah. over here. Yeah. Um, so, so she's headed to Lulu's wedding and mm-hmm. she says, you know, she knows my whole family and Chad is DJing the wedding. So we gradually grew apart. Right. We don't talk anymore. I think she feel, she felt obligated to ask me to be a, a bridesmaid and, um, uh, Nikki says, why don't you just say no? She said, I can't, I couldn't say no. Uh, and I hate that Mallory has to pick up my slack at work. So Mallory is going to be taking on a divorce case for Jen and uh-huh. Nikki's going to be helping her. So Nikki will be her paralegal while Jen's gone for the week. And so Nikki and Mallory will be working together. And it doesn't seem like either Nikki or Jen initially were that close with Mallory, but in the last couple episodes, we've seen them make some strides with her and they all seem like that at the end of these episodes they're getting along a lot better yeah they seem really tight at this point and it's it's odd because i I thought that they were supposed to be a little bit more rivals a little bit more frenemies and i I almost wonder still and it's hard Mm -hmm. i guess in all of these shows to not like always wonder 
if someone, mm-hmm. you know, is a double agent. But I know it right. did feel like she was more of a rival in in the comics and someone who made life difficult for Jen a lot. So, you, yeah, but she's been pretty. I mean, even right here in the two episodes we've seen, she helped Jen in a court case get out mm-hmm. of, you know, get clear. And then again, right here. She seemed really genuine when she was like laying it on Mr. Immortal. Like she seemed like she was on the right side. And I I loved what she did. She's like, I'm going to get you the best deal, but damn, I hate your guts. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to like make sure that you have to, you know, hold a little face here too for, uh, for these women that you've wronged. So Jen lets us know breaking the fourth wall that yes, it's a self-contained wedding episode. If you think this is happening at an inconvenient time, you're right. Because that's how weddings always are. But I want to look great. So let's go. Let's do this. So Jen's off. She arrives at the wedding. She's looking good. And she's immediately the center of attention. Because she walks up as She-Hulk. And the bridesmaids are all kind of gushing over her. She's really loving the attention that she's getting. She actually strikes a pose. As the others marvel at her ass. And her physique. Like look at your ass. Oh my god. And she... Yeah, she's all pumped, and she, uh, nor Jen's not used to this attention, as we've seen, right? In this weird world, for some reason, guys don't like Tatiana Maslany. I, I mean, not not quite sure exactly what's going on, but She Hulk gets all the love. Jen does not, and the the bride Lulu is not mm-hmm. is not pleased by all the attention that Jen. Gets right when she walks up This is supposed to be about her And Lulu actually says You know as as they're marveling at her ass They said god your ass looks crazy right now She says everybody has an ass Hi Jen (laughs) I like that She just She kind of like pushes people out of the way And walks right up in the middle And then she says Jen can I talk to you for a second Really blatantly In the middle of everyone like yeah. everyone knows that she's about to pull Jen off to the side and tell her, like, stop stealing my attention. <laughs> Just reprimand her. She yeah. says, I don't want you to be hulky at my wedding. Okay. Promise me, Jen. Promise me. So uh Jen says, I promise. I'll just show up as regular Jen at just your Jen. wedding. <laughs> just Jen. Yeah. Uh, so she again breaks the fourth wall. She looks at us and says, yeah, I know, obviously, this is the one time I didn't want to show up as just Jen. She's conflicted. She wanted to show off a little bit here. Yeah. and Yeah, she wanted and, to look good, you know, in front of her family and friends. She hasn't seen so long. It, it makes sense, though, with the way that they, they, they treat, treat her, her as Jen. Yeah. You know, if you, if you, if you uh, you know, expand that back in time a little bit and, and imagine that that's how they've always treated her, yeah, she'd probably want to show up as, as somebody else and, you know, turn some heads. Uh, at the same time, it just... I don't know. It's you would you would assume that all these people would think that that Jen is a cool person and that they would be lucky to be associated with her, have their her at her wedding. Um, I know she's a lawyer, a successful lawyer, a young, beautiful, put together woman. She's got superpowers and is on the news for doing so. Like uh, not just a lawyer, she's like heading up a whole division. Uh, it's like. What what is missing here? Like, are these people are are the worst people ever if they can't appreciate that? You know what I mean? Like, most people would feel like, wow, I am cool because this really cool person is talking to me or is at my wedding or you know I'm in their presence. So 
rising tide lifts all boats sort of a thing. Like everyone would be stoked to have, you know, a, a, a celebrity at their wedding. Well, like, like how Lulu just, is that's at the, the end. general vibe that people have. Like how she right, is at the exactly. end, but not how she is here. Or even how even how when when Ched walks into her apartment the week before and he wants her to sign all the memorabilia and stuff, like that's how people would yeah. be. Like, oh, you're right. out there, cool. Like they would want to even like leech on to you. They'd want to like how like what can I can you do? You know, they'd want to ask you to help them some way, improve that. Like they just wouldn't right. be so that's more believable to you. Um Right. And when she goes back to Jen. They wouldn't just magically forget that she's this awesome person. The they would, they would, they would be equally like fascinated and think that Jen is so cool and want to talk to that version of Jen too, because they still know that she's She-Hulk, that she could turn into that thing that they just saw that they thought was so cool. It just makes no sense that then, then she turns back to Jen and everyone treats her like dog shit <laughs> like right away. It, there's, it, it, there's no consistency there to the characters and there's no real logic to the way that they behave. So we get the title screen, Just Jen, Attorney at Law. It has, uh, you know, Jen's hanging out with the, the girls, the bridesmaids, and she's doing the math and it doesn't seem like the numbers of the men and the women add up. So she asks... Everyone's coupled up. Do I not have a groomsman? But they explain, oh, you're going to be with Jonathan. And the other bridesmaids love Jonathan. Jen doesn't even think twice about it. She's she's pleased. Oh, cool. Jonathan will be here tomorrow. So cool. We get to our V storyline, and uh, we're at the back at the law offices. Mallory is meeting with a new client, Mr. Hollis. Nikki helping her out. She's the paralegal for this case. So they meet with Mr. Hollis, who's actually Mr. Immortal. Yeah. Says, uh, I go by Mr. Immortal. It's pithier. And this is Dave Pasquazi, who's a comedian. He plays uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus' husband in Veep, which is one of his really good roles. Yeah. He also plays uh, Twilight in uh, mm-hmm. Book of Boba Fett. And it's funny, he's almost the same exact character in Boba Fett. Like yeah. a lot of the things that he is in this. Like he's just sort of weaselly, <laughs> yeah. slimy. He, I, I swear. He he says like the same words. There's a, there's mm-hmm. like a same like a phrase that he says that's like the exact same that's funny. quote. That's so funny. I'm like, oh my god, he said that exact same word uh, <laughs> there. But he tells us, look, um, he says this is this is not your typical divorce case, but I need you to help me out. Otherwise, the settlement could bleed me dry. And you know, Nikki's trying to comfort him. I know divorce is hard. And he says, yeah, it's not like I, I didn't try marriage out. I did several times. It, and like this line is like an exact type of a line that he yeah. would have said in Star Wars. In fact, it could be said that no one has tried more than me. Probably literally. You know, like probably <laughs> literally is like another one. Uh, I'm a good <laughs> guy. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But, you know, inevitably things go stale. And that's a tough conversation. I don't want to be married to you anymore. I find that you're emotionally suffocating me and you wear weird pajamas. Can you blame me for walking out into traffic during rush hour and putting an end to the whole issue right there? <laughs> They're like, what? Wait. Yeah. Wait. Wait. What? what? You, you kill yourself to get out of the relationship? He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't, I don't kill myself. I'm immortal, so I can't die. And there's some, there's some holes in this logic here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got to say, like, at, I wasn't totally sold on just the premise here. They're like, so he's killing himself, but but he he's oh he's alive 
immediately after. So how is that faking your death? You know what I mean? Like it, just because your heart stops, that doesn't mean you're legally dead. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was it. a little it was a little another part where it felt kind of contrived here. When yes. when you see all the spouses in the room, I guess it starts to like Okay, he would be with one, he'd fake a death And then he'd like move to a new area You could kind of see, because all the women That he was with are like from different nationalities And they look a little different So I, I guess yeah. he could start to But but again, it's like, it's a little bit of a leap You know, yeah. and just sort of Making it make the most sense here He says Well, in my case I, I do die, but only in the legal sense <laughs> Nikki says So you die And he says I do, I die, and he's using finger quotes every time he says the word <laughs> die, but only for a kind of die, or, but I do die. Yeah. <laughs> they asked. He, he sold that line really well, I gotta say, this, yeah. this actor's really good. That was a funny one. And they asked, do you ever feel bad about this? He said, no, look, I'm a nice guy. If I have an opportunity, I think this is the most considerate way to end a marriage. And <laughs> both <laughs> Ma- Mallory and Nikki are like, just disgusted with this guy No yeah. No uh, You just don't know how to have any confrontation whatsoever um, Mallory's like yeah uh, Nice that's not the word Consider it that's not the word you're looking for yeah. And he said Wait I thought my lawyers were supposed to not be judgmental I thought Nikki does a really good job She said no They're just here to represent you I'm tapping out <laughs> Nikki and Mallory they cannot believe this. They're just appalled by this guy. And they're like getting a little bit intense in their wording to him. And yeah. he gets so uncomfortable with this that he just gets up and he jumps head first through this huge glass window in their office. He lands 10 stories below on the street, crashes right into a car, gets up, shakes himself off, and then walks off like no big deal. Nikki and Mallory watch the whole thing happen. They look down at the scene and, uh, like, well, I guess. That's how he does it. So they, I did like the way he he leaped through that window, like face first. It, it was pretty pretty funny. There was a little bit of charm to to that moment, the absurdity of it. And um, yeah. I I don't know, like I don't have as much of a backstory with his character in the comics and reading a lot of what it was, but it mm-hmm. is a it is just kind of a fascinating um, arc in that I, I'm pretty sure that at one point he interacts with and meets uh, Kingo. From the Eternals, yeah. who it was the character played by Kumail, because he's also one that can't die oh, and lives. Immortal, yeah, yeah. And um, at one point, Mister Immortal actually ma- mentions Baroness Cromwell, who was from right. like thousands of years ago. So what was said was that the guy initially was like this great guy. He loved life, and he loved it because. He couldn't die you know he he was he could live forever So he had this like Very positive upbeat way of thinking And then as The people around him started to die He became Sad and more Troubled you know Everyone around him that he knows is passing Away and he's still there And so then he just kind of found ways To like manipulate life And to You know to you know, he he was bored with life, so he just kind of became a little bit of a menace. Um, and, That's what I get uh, from this yeah. characterization here is how bored he he is with everything because, mm-hmm. and that that's something that I think is believable from a you know psychological standpoint. Somebody that's been around for that long, 
you just see the patterns in people. You just start to see, you know, people and their actions as like very similar, the, the same almost like, because, oh, I've been through this before. Oh, this is this part. I've been treated this way before, you know, and it, you're just not going to have the patience for it after thousands of years, like many orders of magnitude of, of you know, time distance than a, a normal life. Uh, so it's like, uh, you would get, you would just get bored with things. It reminded me of, I think it was Invincible, the show in, uh, Invincible, the adaptation of the comics. I don't know if you've seen that, mm -hmm. but there's, yep. there's a character that's like the Flash. I think he's, a, but he experiences everything you know, around him, like almost like it's slow motion because relative to it all, he's moving so fast. So if he's having a conversation with, you know, a woman, and that they, there's a scene with like his love interest in there, like he just can't help but like, just tune it out or, you know, get completely bored by it or not feel in the moment because it's just moving so slow relative to the, the speed that, they, that they're thinking. Uh, so I think there's this little bit of a, a parallel and similarity there of like where you just can't relate to people anymore because of the, the relativity of time and your experience to that. It's so like low, like every one individual person in their individual life and in their day to day mm -hmm. is sort of so meaning like menial and tedious right. like in the grand scheme of what you've been through and what you're going right. to continue yeah, to go yeah. through it's like every one of these people is just a day to them to him you know in his exactly in his life so he he doesn't really get it which he he does a good job of of portraying i think um so they go back there we cut back to the wedding everyone's having drinks and uh Jen and Lulu talk and Jen's really proud of herself like she's that's what she was one of the reasons why she she personally wanted to come to this wedding because things are going pretty well for her personally. She's <laughs> at this new law firm and she's been doing well. She, you know, she's got superpowers. She's the She-Hulk. Feels like a, like everything in her life is going well except for her dating. Her like yeah. personally, which you know, she and she seems like she wants someone there, but I don't know if she seems obsessed with needing a guy. I think she just kind of understands that that's where she is in her life. She's a little bit lonely. She kind of looks around and there's no no one else there and she wants to go out on dates. She wants to have someone. She you know, she's going to interact with the guy Josh coming up in just a moment. But mm -hmm. she seems pretty proud of like things going well for her, but Lulu, yeah. all Lulu cares about is if there is a guy in her life. She says, "No, no." Right. She said, I don't feel bad. I, I you know things are going well for me, but Lulu is so like for her, the measure of you being successful is who you're dating, who you're married yeah. to, because we find out that Lulu was sort of a star effer. It sounds like because <laughs> she apparently dated the actors that po that played both Jacob <laughs> yeah. and Edward in Twilight. Yeah. Um. So That's yeah, I just, I just dislike Lulu quite a bit too. Mm -hmm. She's just not. You can understand why her and Jen may have grown apart, especially on Jen's side. Why would Jen want to be around this girl? Yeah, yeah. It's funny too. I'm reminded of like the Bechdel test. Have you oh. heard, have you heard about that one yet? Like, yes. It, it, she, she's essentially like failing the Bechdel test in her own conversation. You watch the show reboot? <laughs> um, no, I don't think I did. That is so uh, funny. That... I just put this episode. Okay, so you and I are recording on Saturday morning on this September mm -hmm. the twenty fourth. On Friday night, I'm saying like four hours. I was up late last night. My schedule was a little weird the next the yesterday. I put on this new show on Hulu that's called Re uh, Reboot, and it's it's pretty funny. It's actually really funny. And one of the the writers for this show that they're rebooting 
they're all working and they're they're um workshopping a script and they actually mention the Bechtel test on one of the episodes and they ha- they want one of the girls to say that as a line to like bring it up oh, i was funny. like i couldn't believe that you just mentioned that cuz i oh, saw wow. it like 4 hours ago i was like you oh, had wow. to watching what i was watching but that's fascinating that you that you weren't because it's uh um, I'll check it out yeah i haven't even heard of this they only dropped three I thought episodes. you were talking about the cartoon at first. I remember there was that cartoon like when we were kids called Reboot. It's and the, I the remember almost of, nothing um, about it. Or the the girl who was in uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, um who's who's it was pretty funny and that that's a good okay. show and she she's one of the writers uh in this um but yeah that that that's great and that's Lulu 100%. Everything that Lulu is so about guys has to deal with a guy looking good for a guy, makeup y influencer. Yeah. And we actually see Titania arrive. And Jen's kind of pissed. She's like, What are you doing here? This is my friend's wedding. Get out of here. You can't pull your crap here. <laughs> T- Titania, okay. Well, I see the chit chat is over. The answer to your extremely rude question is I happen to be dating a friend of the groom and he invited me. And, um, oh. This all feels a little too small worldy, like too convenient. Again, uh, ooh, just show me the guy. Show me the guy. Yeah. Like, give me yeah. one look at the guy. Oh, give me one look over at the guy that's like dancing that waves. That it's a guy that we've seen, that we know, whatever. Like, wasn't she? Da- didn't she go out with Otunga last time out? Boom. Just give me the give me the guy that Jen went out with right. on a date last time, just to kind of nod. And she goes, oh, "Okay, yeah, she used this guy to get to to get to this wedding." But there are just mm-hmm. like little pieces that. Like, this is the wrestling fan in me. All I need mm-hmm. as a wrestling fan is you to give me one line, like one right. <laughs> line to tell me this is what happened. And I'm totally fine with like, oh, that's what happened. But yeah, just um, a little piece of logic to break the, your, to give you that suspension of disbelief, to give yep. you something to chew on so that you can suspend your disbelief. This is already a far-fetched um, you know, concept to begin with. We're bought in on that. At least you got you got to sell the human stuff. The human interactions are the stuff that is coming off as as phony and unbelievable. That that's if you're failing at that level, like how is the whole thing going to come together and you're going to buy into the superhero character aspect? Of it? I don't know. It just doesn't. It's it it should or, be so much better. <laughs> I mean, she even if she showed up like I'm sponsoring the wedding, you know, like I I guess she had to have her her like. You know, products uh, removed last mm-hmm. time, but they said she's got a bunch of businesses. She could have like another phony thing she was yeah. doing. There could be different reasons why she was at this wedding, and they could have easily let us know. But instead, right. she just sort of is there. And yeah, I, and there could be a greater reason too, right? We've been yep. nodding to that a little bit too, like mm-hmm. some grand you know conspiracy that's going to be a big twist where she's in cahoots with. That guy Todd or whatever from before, or the intelligentsia, or maybe there's there some has other to big be, bad right? that, because that, she does not feel yeah. very important at all in what we've seen from her. We see her show up in episode one in the courtroom. She busts through the courtroom mm-hmm. wall, and then she gets dispatched in seconds by by Jen. First yeah. off, why the hell was she busting through the courtroom? We didn't even know what was she trying right. to do there. Was she it trying to hurt? Very- People, it was very out of place. It, like, and on all of her stuff seems very rushed and like, oh, we're here already. Oh, we got to this no. point already. And she doesn't feel formidable at in all. any sense of the word. At all. She feels like a total joke. And yeah. I, I, 
you know, why did she get away with it? Where did her powers come from? We got to find a little bit more out about Titania also. So, you know, Lulu's happy that Titania is there initially. And mm-hmm. Jen makes a comment that frustrates Lulu because I will say that the way Jen made the comment did seem like, just again, seemed like I don't think Jen would have said that. Like, Jen seemed mm-hmm. like a smart girl to know that, like, She's weaseled her way in this wedding to to mess with me, you right. know. Like Jen, yeah. What was the line she says here? She's like, "Why doesn't anybody see that?" Like that felt like there was a line that was cut out before. That is so obvious. Why does nobody else see that? Right. And I, I'm like, wait, who is nobody? Why would anybody see that? Why would anybody have the context to go? Oh, like, are, are we supposed to understand that everybody saw their conflict on the news from like their their court case? Was that a big thing in the news? Because I, I didn't. I, I I can't imagine why Jen would assume that everyone's going to be looking at Titania and going, oh, Titania's only here for Jen. There's just not enough information there. And that was one thing that really made me think, did something get cut out? Was it there like, a little interaction or a scene where she was talking with somebody else? The, and they the guy, Josh, right? There could have been a scene mm-hmm. where she's talking with the guy and the, and she tell, mm-hmm. and the guy goes, oh, that's the girl. Like, we saw the girl, Titania. Right. I don't know. Just right. like, are you awkward? That would have worked. Like that would have been fine or any one of them. Like one of the bridesmaids could have at least been friendly to Jen. Yeah. But like one of them could have not been like a mean girl and been like, yeah. I saw that stuff with Titania. That's gotta be awkward for you with her coming in over there. Right. Like, I don't know. Right. Just little something, but you're absolutely right. Again, it's just, why does nobody else see that? Lose. So out of place. Jen, I hear you, but you sound insane right now. Titania wouldn't just show up at my wedding to try to kill you or something. <laughs> and she says, I'm literally just here to celebrate the love of Lulu and her groom, which is weird again. They don't even say who. Right. They just say her groom. They don't even, they don't say, even the say the name. name. They don't yeah. say the name. So this wow. is weird. There's, there must be something to this. Or if not, you know, we're harping on it. And this is Armafista. <laughs> But uh, but right. Lulu, as uh, kind of pissed Jen off a little bit. So Jen just sort of goes off to find her own little quiet place, and she sits down to eat a snack. She's just sitting on a bench outside, and she's approached by uh by this guy Josh. And I will say the the interaction here, I felt mm-hmm. like this is something I would have done when I was a single man myself. Like the way that he approached <laughs> her, because he said something like um. You know, see, my plan was to strike up a very normal conversation with the beautiful woman stuffing her face with candied nuts. Uh, no, because she's sitting there like eating the nuts. Uh, and Jen goes like, oh, oh, like she kind of like smirks that it's a little, you yeah. know, it's a little lot like cute. And they just mention who they are. Jen, this is Josh. They how that why they're at the wedding, who they know. And the. Uh, Josh says, yeah, I'm, I'm very good at sticking to my plans. And, <laughs> and right as they're just, you know, starting to warm up to each other, their conversation, Lulu busts out in the middle and interrupts. Yeah. Oh, my God, Jen, I'm so happy I found you. Right after two minutes later, she was just awful to Jen inside. Yeah. And <laughs> this was the line that maybe made me laugh the whole, the hardest of the whole episode where she says, Half the staff is quitting because of how I'm treating them. And she did it in quotes. Uh, <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, you're a terrible person. But the way she said, like, 
how I'm treating them was almost like a Madison from a few episodes ago (laughs) that I, I really enjoyed. She said, could you help me clean up around here? Straighten up. Take some of these empties. She hands her the glass that she's drinking from her hand. Like, here you go. Take this one. Um, and Josh, yeah, you come inside. Uh, like, okay, see you later. Bye. Th- this was – the line made me laugh. But, I mean, at a wedding, you're doing this to one of your friends who's a bridesmaid? I just don't know. Like, I know there are the bridezillas mm-hmm. out there. But is it r- – maybe maybe it is. But, yeah, this felt a little inauthentic. Yeah. Yeah, all of all of it does, <laughs> and uh, it, it's been done better before. You know, like Bridesmaids did it really well, and Bridesmaids has a tone where it's like it's believable, but then it pushes those moments, and it has really big laughs, and it, it it has those moments where it feels a little bit, you know, stretched in terms of reality, but it all feels consistent and grounded. Uh, in my best friend's in a wedding, that, I don't know if you saw that one way back in the day with uh, yeah, that's Julia another really Rob. good wedding movie. Yeah, it's Absolutely. a good wedding movie. It is. And early and Charlize, this, or, uh, or early uh, Cameron Diaz, yeah. That's right, that's right. Super and she's, she's back now, by the way. I know yeah. she's retired, but I, I just read that she's she's back into acting, which I think is great. She was always good. Yeah, I always had a, a big crush on her. Um, oh, yeah. So, Jen, now helping out at the wedding a little bit. We check in back at the law office. So we're in a conference room. We're in a meeting. It's Mallory, Nikki, Mr. Immortal. This is basically like the uh, like what a divorce proceeding you'd sort of see. Like this is the mm-hmm. mediate the the mediation part where they're kind of trying yeah. to hammer out what everyone's going to get and the terms of you know the divorce here. So they say seventy five thousand. The so the wives are basically all talking about. What this guy has done there the, the sp- I don't even want to say wives Spouses because there's yeah, spouses a yeah Yeah there's yeah a, he's a, apparently a bi or pansexual uh-huh. I'm not sure the difference between those but So it looks uh, like one. <laughs> Looks like there's eight Former wives One former male uh, Spouse and yeah. They're all different nationalities Completely like, different <laughs> Just completely uh, different He doesn't have a type not not in the slightest. And that was something that kind of, I don't know, maybe that was what threw me off, but I, I found uh, all of them to be inauthentic in one way or another. Like, I just, I didn't buy them uh, for whatever reason. I don't know if it was that they it wasn't the best actors, uh, you know, in the roles or whatever. Maybe they are good actors. I don't know. But it just seemed very, like, a little bit over the top and just it reminded me of watching background actors. Uh, when they have a, a little bit to do and they kind of take it, push it a little bit too far. Um, but you don't I did feel like... appreciate uh, one thing I did appreciate was the, uh, the, the husband, the ex-husband like seemed to be like a reflection of him almost. It was like, it could have been like his stunt double, you know what I mean? Like, so I thought that that was an interesting characterization of like, like Oh yeah, this guy's, he wanted to basically marry himself and try that mm-hmm. out. So I, I did like that as a little detail, but something about them just felt off to me. Yeah, they didn't feel as like you're saying, I don't know if I believe that each of these people are real people with a life mm-hmm. and a story and kids and like what has happened and like they were married to get like I'm trying to put it in my head. It could it helps a little bit when Nikki is talking with them and said oh this is like you had to do this business with him for two years mm-hmm. so we're gonna pay you back but at, at this point when they're saying some of the things that they, that you know i spent ten thousand on a new orleans jazz funeral uh after <laughs> he 
accidentally swallowed a cyanide pill. Um, <laughs> like that one kind of made me chuckle, but it didn't like yeah. that. The spouse is all speaking their piece, and I I agree with you. It just didn't feel as much like they're all real people. Now, yeah. in doing a little more research on uh, Mister Immortal. He was actually part of the Great Lakes Great Avengers. Great Lakes Avengers, yes. Which is <laughs> yes. just so funny to me that got in trouble for like copyright issues. The the Great Lakes really? Avengers. They got in in the comics, the group of them got in trouble because they were trying to play themselves off as the real Avengers, you know. Oh, that's and they're so not, funny. they're just like, you know, the sea level Avengers. <laughs> so Lakes. that ended up being like yeah. a story in the comics, which I think is yeah. hilarious. Um, and we had a copyright story in She-Hulk, too, so that's so a nice like there, connection. There can't be a coincidence, you know, nah. with that, like, all of those things together. Yeah. So Also, I heard um, via Nerdist, uh, they were talking about that uh, the Great Lakes Avengers were trained by Hawkeye and Mockingbird at one oh. point. So they suggest that that might be a really interesting thing for Hawkeye Season 2 cool. to kind of converge Which, these worlds together. It's in funny, crazy uh, to funny think about. Line where we are right now because it's the end of september but i mean like Mm. we're like a year up uh, we're like a year after hawkeye already it feels like that was not that far away like where we were just talking about some of those hawkeye episodes but it was a christmas you know what i mean like it was a holiday coming up on it yeah um it's really coming up on like a year so it just shows you how quickly we've been flying through these shows and movies and this content so they figure out that uh, one of the wives said, "says so my friend sent me a link to a video posted on that site, Intelligent- Intelligentsia. You mean the one for hateful man babies? <laughs> yep, that's the one. Um, this man walks into a busy intersection. He gets hit by four different cars, and then his body regenerates, and he just gets up and walks away. I, of course, immediately recognized my idiot husband, Roger. Okay, <laughs> this was a great point that you made. How does mm-hmm. this make sense? So." Right. From a technical standpoint, absolutely, right? If if nobody sees the guy and like, oh, or I guess one person sees and reports a death, but if people see that he's alive, how why yeah. is his death even reported? Exactly. That's it that's the fundamental flaw and the and there's no good answer to that. Uh they didn't write it that way. It it just doesn't really make that much sense. And they thought, you know, oh, it's a funny concept, it'll work. Don't overthink it. That's what they're expecting of us, uh, the writers. Uh, yeah. I, I can't get behind that. <laughs> no, no, not, me neither. Just, it just doesn't – because in all yeah. of these superhero shows with different superheroes, like there's there's usually something unique about their powers or mm-hmm. about what happens to them or how they get them. or yeah. And so for him, he it's weird because it's like he doesn't die even. It's just like he can't die. It's not as if he right. dies and then regenerates like five minutes later, you know, there's like a window of him actually being dead, but then he comes, he's like born again. Right. It's, right. It's not like he's waking up in the morgue like the next day so that he's already, the paperwork's which, been filed and he just escapes from the morgue or whatever. Which like, that was the thing, the girl in Heroes, um, mm. Hayden Penitary, the character that she right. played, like she could right. die, but then like regenerate based on like, you know, she would like heal um mm-hmm. after and that was kind of a wolverine thing where maybe for a minute you would think they were dead but then they could heal there's this just we we need to find more out more out about this because it was bothering me and i don't want to spend yeah. like hours on it but it was 
it was frustrating when I was trying to like do the math in my head with things. I was like, this is not making sense. Didn't make uh, it just doesn't. That's that no. we just have to leave it there. It doesn't make sense. They didn't write it well. <laughs> so Mallory and Nikki and, and Mr. Immortal all kind of huddle up together for a talk. Did you not only did you fake your own death multiple times, but you also forged multiple fake identities? Frankly, all of these spouses should be filing criminal charges. You're lucky you're not in prison. <laughs> he says, I will never understand women if I live to be a and I will. <laughs> Which is a good line. It's a pretty good line. And yeah. they, uh, Mallory says, understand this. I'll get you the best deal under the circumstances, but let me tell you, you're going to have to pay. He says, why are you smiling? It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. So um, we flash back to our uh, wedding and Jen walks over. She's in her bridesmaid dress and she's got her, her drink in hand and she walks over. The other bridesmaids are gossiping about her. They're like loudly talking about her as she walks up. Mm. No, she'll totally do it. This is such a Jen job. I make her do stuff like this all my time. And then she walks up. <laughs> oh, so hey, Jen, the groomsmen, they were playing Mario Kart and they got their shirts wrinkled. <laughs> she says, from a video game? Yeah, <laughs> video games are sports now. They're on ESPN <laughs> and everything. So you're on ironing duty, right? Heather hands Jen the un or the, the wrinkled shirts. And Jen's like, I I am. And Heather says, Yeah, go bride squad. Thank you so much. Amazing. <laughs> so Jen's like holding these. Lulu walks out, says, Jen, your groomsman is here. Jonathan. And it's this adorable little dog who looks yeah. like he's 15 years old. He looks like he yeah. was a rescue. His his poor ear can't even stand up. He's so old. It's like flopping over on him. So Jen smiles, she smirks, she's just trying to be a good sport, and it's pretty apparent now that Lulu had Jen come just to be the punching bag here. Yeah, yeah, she's doing all the dirty work, uh, walking the dog down the aisle, and I love that line from Lulu, uh, he's so brave, we had to resuscitate him this morning, (laughs) (laughs) they mentioned that he's like leaking or something too. Yeah. I I thought that was a a really funny detail, (laughs) just that the dog is so old, Uh, but, but then when... When you see the dog, it's beautiful. That's a cute ass dog. I feel like. So why would Jen? She wouldn't be upset. Honestly, yeah, that's the thing. Like a lot of even the things that people are upset about uh, throughout this episode is it feels contrived. It doesn't feel like oh somebody would actually be upset about that. I mean, maybe you would think it was kind of funny, or maybe he's slightly embarrassed. Like when they were talking about John again, like. Because mm-hmm. you and I are such great writers, I'm I'm always going to be the back they should have been writing in the script. But the day before, they mentioned Jonathan, and they're just saying mm-hmm. like, "Oh, you're going to love Jonathan." They should have right. said something more like, "You guys can go out afterwards. He's cute. Apparently, he's got a thing for you. You know, like something like that." To where mm-hmm. she would have been at least disappointed, thinking it was going to be some cute guy, but like, right. Maybe a double entendre of some yeah. sort that refers to it, like they, they're talking about a dog, but she could also mistake that that they're talking about, uh, you know, a love interest or something. Because yeah, but be a little bit more specific. Like at least she would have had a good. reason to be disappointed then. But any girl who would have been mm-hmm. able to walk this cute dog like down the aisle at a wedding probably would have loved it. I think they would have thought yeah. it was great. Like who wouldn't think this was adorable? Yeah, I, exactly. And uh, again, it's you get to be the, the kind of unique one 
in that, I, I, I would say that that's almost a, a plus. Like you get almost a special role. You're walking the dog th- down there and you know, you get to walk almost by yourself, but you're holding the dog. I don't know. It, it would, she could totally rock that. Yeah. And it's not the, it's not the big hit that the show wants us to, to think it is. It doesn't really, it doesn't really land. Back at the law offices, um, Mr. Immortal has a proposal, not that proposal, a different proposal. He says, <laughs> ladies and Sebastian, I have all of those Apple shares I bought in 1981. Those are probably worth Ooh. a pretty penny or two. Uh, plus yeah. all the gold left to me by my first wife, Baroness Cromwell. How about <laughs> we split it evenly eight ways and call it a day? Mallory says, very fair. Um, and Mallory, she just wants to be done with this awful man. She said, generous, fair, everyone can move on with their lives. I'll drop the paperwork immediately and we'll get this all sorted out. But one wife asks a pretty good question. We were married for 18 years. She was only with him for three. Why does she get the same amount? <laughs> and Daddy. now they all start to argue. And it's, I had a kid with him. Why should I be punished for her mistake? Mistake? You're calling my son a mistake? You, you're the I one like that mistake. <laughs> and yeah. they're, so they're all getting at it. And as they're screaming, um, Mr. Immortal starts to become uncomfortable so he's he starts to stand up and he's about to to duck out you know and and give one of his exits but mallory just pushes him right back down to his seat like no you gotta stew in this man (laughs) like you made your bed now you gotta sleep in it you know this is this is for you so uh he hates the confrontation but now they have to work all of this out and uh we'll come back in a minute with nikki starting to to do all the uh the due diligence and making sure that everyone's happy with their their terms. It's DJ Inchedible Hulk. Yo 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 yo. What's going on, party people? It's your boy DJ Inchedible Hulk. I mean, that was that's good. It's just the small, stupid little thing, but it's just it's a great line and like perfect with. Chad being part of the family, obviously, yeah. but dude, a cash bar at this wedding, and, and again, <laughs> yeah, again, like, could it get any worse? Seriously, and then when she, you know, she asked the bartender, "Hit me with a heavy pour, buddy." He says, <laughs> "That will be an extra five dollars." Like, come on, man. So sweet, nice Jen. She's just like, okay, screw it. I'm getting drunk. Doubles. And so for every yeah. drink, she leaves twelve bucks. Ten for the ten yeah. for the drink and then two dollars for her tip every time. Like even even a nice tipper, yeah. Jen. Um, yeah. and she's dancing and, by herself in her own freaking world on the dance floor. Oh, man. Yeah. She is just living it up and she's robbing out there. Apparently, oh, yeah. this was from New Rock Stars that after mm-hmm. one of these like Emmy or Grammy parties. Uh, over the last couple of years, there was a big party that a bunch of people paid for. Uh, they put a bunch of money in, and nobody was on the dance floor. And she was like the only one that was out there by herself, rocking it. And apparently, this is something that's kind of become a, like an inside joke in Hollywood with her. Um, that awesome. like you know she was out there on her own, like dancing and rocking it. And they may have even put this in. And giving her a chance to do this in the show for that reason, as like a little nod to what some other people might not may know. If that's the case, I love that. I think that's pretty funny. If that's something that like is 
is really her because she just looked like she yeah. was having a blast and just getting getting plastered out on the dance floor. Absolutely. I, I loved that little sequence there, too. Uh, she sells it so well. And uh, I totally believe, you know, your backstory there uh, because of it, because she she looked like a natural. She looks like she does that every weekend. So uh, I, I totally bought it. And I, I love that. And some people uh, a lot of people do really like let loose at at weddings. Uh, mm-hmm. I love that aspect of them. Like people just who you wouldn't even people that wouldn't go clubbing necessarily, but they get out on the, on the dance floor and they like just dance all night. And that, that felt very authentic to me. And like, she sold the hell out of it. Especially with how we've seen her being treated by her friends at this wedding. Of course, she just wants to get drunk and like say, screw it. Like, I don't want to be sober dealing with these people who are awful and like wedding just started. Boom. Let's just like, I don't have a, I don't have a, Groomsmen over here you know I'm like alone like screw it So Jen mm-hmm. partying On as uh, we head Back to the offices and Nikki's Now negotiating with all of uh, Mr. Immortal's spouses she's making Sure that each of them are satisfied she Said okay so yeah. you're gonna be reimbursed For the Lake Lawn Mausoleum Jazz funeral so chic I love Your style I thought this was a good Scene for Nikki yeah. the way She was handling everyone and you could Sort of tell yeah. Mallory is really proud of Nikki. Like as she's watching her, she thinks that Nikki's yeah. doing a great job making sure that all of these women are pleased and and the man, uh, all of these spouses are pleased. Yeah. Says Taylor, you get back pay for the two years that you quit your job to help Paul run a rare jade shop in Piedmont. Ugh. Cheryl, cash, you want it, you get it. Cash, money, boom. Amy, you are going to receive a sincere apology. With meaningful eye contact And when When she says that All of the women They like gasp Like oh, like this is the big prize yeah. This is this is the billion dollars That everyone wanted This was like the mansion The the, 20, the 10 second apology With eye contact Like this was the, <laughs> this was the big thing And Mr. I looks so uncomfortable When he hears this He's like yeah. oh my god Like You would have Thought that he he was going to have to spend 20 years in jail Versus 15 seconds of just looking at someone With making eye contact I thought this was a good scene for Nikki here mm-hmm. uh, I thought she did a really good job Making sure everyone like was all set up She yeah. uh, And Mr. Uncomfort- Mr. Uncomfortable Mr. Immortal Tries to say sorry to everyone He says Look things got ugly There's no doubt about that but I truly did love each and every one. And they all just start, shut up. You know, they start laughing. Yeah, like, we don't want to laugh. We don't want to hear this. They just laugh immediately. And uh, the women in Mallory, they're all pleased with how well Nikki handled all of that. Nikki makes them all agree. Okay, what's our mantra? Never again. <laughs> so <laughs> she seems pretty dead set against marriage. She's mentioned it a few different times or just like dating in general and the whole. Mm. Dating scene, how bad it is, how uncomfortable it is. So mm-hmm. I'm a little curious what Nikki's story. We don't even know. Did, like, does she have the crush on She Hulk? Is there maybe going to be something with Pug? We don't even really mm-hmm. know what it is. I mean, she seemed like she kind of was fangirling over Titania earlier, but right. I thought this was a good, like a a good moment and a good scene for Nikki to kind of shine a little bit. She did she did a good job here. Yeah, I definitely like the actress there. And I thought it was okay. I'm, I'm a little, uh, I, I see it a little bit differently from you, I think. And it just, for me, it felt again, like uh, 
somewhat contrived just the scenario of like oh now we're gonna have the the clerk basically take over and uh dictate the flow of everything and and just like she's gonna tell it like it is and just uh fix all the problems like it it felt a little convenient for me and then when i think of like real life like that's pretty atypical um and i I don't know i i just didn't quite again it's one of those things where it didn't feel too neat um, it was a little too neat it was a little it was too neat yes and part of that's the restriction of the 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 time i mean we're, we're looking at a 22 minute like tight episode here you know juggling two stories and they're doing like a sitcom format where they have to wrap it up self-contained stories so yeah to me it felt it just felt too neat um i i that said i get where you're coming from like where i like that they gave something to nikki here they, they need she's there she's a character in the story we need to give her something to chew on we need to have her a reason for her to be there it's just i, I didn't lo- love this reason and again the whole thing just felt a little bit um unbelievable like the way that the spouses were reacting and the way that they were all just laughing him off and stuff there was no residual trauma there whatsoever that it was just he's just a joke to them now and i, yeah, I get it like that a couple of them would have been pissed right like yeah, a few of them would have been mad like the tone just would have been a little bit different not everybody right. would have been on the same page they you know it just would have one or two of them would have still been that, in love right exactly it, it's it, that ham-fisted approach where it's all just like everything's dialed to a hundred and there's no subtlety or nuance to, to anything. And there's really no room for that. So Jen back at the wedding, she's drunk now. Uh, she's trying to get a hold of Bruce. Where are you? I've been trying to get a hold of you for weeks or months or days or whatever. Call me back. You ding dong. Cause we, we think Bruce probably would have been at this wedding. Maybe this is some family or family friends. Maybe he would have been here. Chad is the cousin who knows, but he's not. And mm-hmm. Josh, Approaches Jen the the guy that Jen briefly interacted with a little earlier now she's drunk and she's excited to see him and oh and they're flirt yeah they got flirty vibes they in got this flirty one. and this was like um, they were having a moment here again like and right yeah. as their moment was about to happen she's not feeling good but right. he uh I love what she says to, she says Josh Joshua Josh and son and I, I think you pointed this out in the first episode. I think she does pretty good for a drunk person. Like she plays drunk really, really yeah, well. Really and not good. like this over the top where I'm like rolling my eyes. Like that's not how right. someone that's drunk is. She says, Josh, Joshua, Joshinson. It's a good name. <laughs> and he says, yeah, my parents. She says, really? And she says, they gave you a good face too. <laughs> and she touches his face a little. And he said, oh, thank you for that compliment. I was wondering when you notice. And (laughs) she said, I just had my brain on way too much of this wedding stuff, big, dumb marriage and love. So he says, oh, you're a romantic. That's what it is. He said, no, no, I I don't actually hate love. I just wanted to come to a wedding and show that I was doing pretty good. I mean, I don't have a boyfriend or a husband. (laughs) He says, good to know. But he said, let me tell you a secret. And (laughs) she said, come closer. (laughs) So so flirty in this moment, too. Oh, I I know. I was like, I, I could feel this moment. Like, I, I felt like I'd been there at a bar or whatever when you're vibing with a girl and, and, and she's uh, maybe had a little uh, too much to drink, maybe. Mm-hmm. And she starts like flirting with you like that. Like, I like, felt that moment in my life and that felt so authentic. I know. And he leans in and she says, I'm, uh, I'm actually doing really so good. 
and have a great job lawyering the law. And she says, I am so strong, dude. I'm really strong. And she grabs him by the tie. <laughs> that I don't know that like I love that little part. I don't know what about mm-hmm. it, but she she says, like, I'm strong, dude. I'm so strong. And she grabs him, like, you know, and <laughs> she says, You haven't even seen what my She-Hulk hair looks like. And he says, I'd love to see it. And then she realizes, oh, I, I can't do it here. Everyone is always saying, you know, how She-Hulk is amazing. They're always saying it. And I just, I wanted to be amazing tonight. He says, I don't know. I think you're pretty great. And like, man, if you're just a guy and you say something semi-nice to Jen, that is just like, done, <laughs> done, done. Dun. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can see the moment when it just registers to her. And she's like, you do. Yeah. Yeah, and she she she's a simple woman with a you know simple taste. She loves just a man being nice to her and some French fries. That's what it's yes, all about. For that's, her. that's the key to her heart. Just be nice, get a plate of French fries, and go to town. So they're about to have a moment where it looks like they're about to kiss, but she feels them dinosaurs calling. Them dinosaurs calling Billy Bob. So she's gotta <laughs> she's gotta run out. I will say she does make it outside to puke. So that's a positive. At least she doesn't throw yes. up all over him or like inside in the wedding. She oh makes my it God. Outside. And as she's hunched over puking, Titania approaches. And at first, Titania is kind of mocking her. Let it mm-hmm. out, babe. Let it all out. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and then she says, um, So now I'm going to publicly destroy you. Jen says, Come on. I won fair and square. Get over it. And Titania. She gets aggressive. I don't get over anything, and she pushes Jen, and Jen yeah. kind of falls over. And Jen's remember sloppy drunk at this point. Titania yeah. said, seeing, "Aren't you seeing double? Aren't you going to turn?" And Jen actually says, "I can take you like this." So she tries to swing at Titania, yeah. all drunk, yeah. just completely misses, falls flat on her face. As Titania said, "This is sad. This is no fun unless you're She-Hulk. Come on." Jen's response, why are you so obsessed with me? I'm not obsessed with you, although it seems like everyone else is. You don't get to ruin everything for me for something you don't even want, something you don't even deserve. So now I'm forced to prove it. So green up. So Jen says, okay, just this one time I turn She-Hulk. <laughs> so, she, so she's trying to Hulk up. And like she's drunk and she just forgot how to do it. Like she yeah. can't. We've seen this happen to Bruce before too, where <laughs> yeah, he, like, he gets stuck and what does Tony say? He's like, dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. <laughs> yeah. He has that one line when Doctor Strange comes over. That's um, right. I, I had a, forgotten about that. That's a great point. I yeah. love this sequence, by the way. Uh, I got to give credit where it's due. I've basically trashed this whole episode so far. And this little chunk here I, I thought was really well done with a double vision, the way she played drunk continuing from the last scene. Uh, but now it's a little bit dirtier and uh, uglier. Uh, and just the, the back and forth and the the little bit of action that we get here, I thought it was a well balanced uh, scene. It had its, its comedic moments that didn't really um, it didn't undercut the the reality of it. Uh, you know, it felt like it, 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 it felt motivated. It felt connected to the you know the past stories and like driving the the the, the future stories and it felt connected to this wedding episode too. the stakes of the wedding episode like if she hopes out she's gonna ruin everything so i thought it really came together in, in this scene and uh honestly it was my favorite probably yeah my favorite part of the series so far i really it, think it's 
she she hits it perfectly. Jen does. Yeah. She she does. And I I'm telling you, I hate drunk scenes in movies and stuff. I mm-hmm. hate I hate it in movies and TV shows when people have to play drunk or like overly high or something. Because mm-hmm. I'm always as as someone who's had a drink and uh, smoked a few times <laughs> in my life, like I can tell you for a fact yeah. that's not how it is. Like that's right. just not how people are acting. That's just not like the response most of the time. So to see someone where you feel like a little more natural, um, it, it's it's great. So I think that's why Seth Rogen hit so hard too. In you know when his initial run came out in stoner comedies and absolutely. Pineapple Express, because he's a true blue stoner uh, to this day, and uh, he just he they approached it in like the right way. Him and Franco mm-hmm. in that movie are like very authentic. I mean they're quintessential stoners, and like Franco's dialed up just a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like it's not that you know. What's the word? It's not that clown of a of a of a version of a of a stoner. It's not even Cheech and Chong was very like rudimentary. I, I think a, a version of of uh, what a what a stoner actually looks like in real life. Totally uh, agree. So, yeah, just going off on a little Seth Rogen love tangent right there because you have, uh, have to because he yeah. does a great job with that with making <laughs> making you feel like yeah this guy's this guy's screwed up like he's messed up right now. <laughs> so is. She closes her eyes, Jen opens them back up, and now she's She-Hulk. And she does the Hulk stomp, and it knocks Titania back. And now she walks into the wedding room on the dance floor. I love that in the background, Josh just sees her, and he just kind of smiles and waves real quick. And she does a little, like, nod to him. (laughs) And uh, uh, I love that Chet is announcing it. We got a wedding fight! (laughs) (laughs) She-Hulk. Pretty easily handles Titania with a punch And Titania's knocked down She's embarrassed She gets up to run after She-Hulk And to come at her And she slips And she slips on some ice on the floor She lands face first on her veneers Her mouth is all busted up Everyone is filming her They're laughing at her So Titania just gets more and more Angry at this She goes nuts She knocks one of the phones out of Uh, Someone's hand who's filming She pushes over a waiter Who's just trying to clean up And then she takes the wedding cake It hasn't (laughs) even been cut She grabs the wedding cake and she walks off Who does that? Um, Pretty ridiculous So I gotta um, I almost have to qualify my previous statement here Because I absolutely love that sequence Out in the the courtyard area Uh, And then When She-Hulk actually turns to She-Hulk, when Jen turns to She-Hulk and punches Titania and like completely trashes the floor at that venue, which by the way is going to cost thousands of dollars and the bride's going to get charged for that 100%. um, That's because that's how that stuff works. Uh, If you damage the floors, you're you're paying for that at a wedding venue. Um, It just felt like over the top at that point, she's sober. Why would she do all that damage? Why wouldn't she punch her in the other direction, which is, you know, a field an empty field behind them, basically. There's a huge lawn, uh, like leading up to that that house or behind the house. I'm not sure if it was the front or the back, but like that that was just kind of again r- ridiculous. And then they, the silliness, I guess, like of Titania and her ridiculous-looking um, dentures that they were sticking out of her mouth. It looked like Austin Powers Halloween they, costume. I mean, they honestly quality. looked like the Austin Powers. That they really did. 
They really did. Yeah, but but like Austin Powers, if you had bought it from a Halloween store, like I from Party City. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's, and it was just so ham fisted the way they wrapped up the the scene, her taking the cake and everything. Did I think it was kind of funny? Yeah, I kind of chuckled. Maybe I don't know. I might have laughed, like, or I might have smiled. Maybe smirked, at the most. Um, I can't say I full out belly laughed at anything in this episode except for maybe one thing and that was the previous uh portion of the scene where she tried to turn to hulk it was it was hilarious um but then that they didn't stick the landing like whatever this fight was in the middle of it and then we talked about it a little bit uh earlier but lulu's reaction it just it's incomprehensible to me i know it feels so rushed and so just off so Lulu makes eye contact with Jen while this is happening, and then she walks up to Jen after, and Jen's trying to explain, Lulu, I know I promised you sucker punched me when I was throwing up. Who? Do- I thought that was a funny line. <laughs> yeah, she sucker yeah. punched me when I was throwing up. Who does that? Which is true. Yeah. Like, who does do that? Nobody hits someone when they're puking. Like, what, yeah. a, what a dirty... Who throws a shoe, right? Like, you're just talking right. about Austin Powers. Come on. And, uh, <laughs> so Lulu is really drunk, but she just says, She-Hulk is at my wedding. I love you so much. I'm a fan. Whoa, huge boobs. Oh, yeah, they're big. Huge boobs. Congrats. Whatever. And then <laughs> she says, I love the photo booth here. The guy is so hot. So if she would have just, I think there was just like one or two more lines missing. Just tell me that she's really drunk or, oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that before. I miss you. Oh, my gosh. Like, you as She-Hulk is so cool. But there was it was almost like she didn't realize Jen was She Hulk. It was I I don't know. Yeah, it was, it incomprehensible. Was just, I I still don't understand what they were going for with me it. Either like sometimes things don't land. You're like, oh, I get what they're going for, but it doesn't make sense for this this reason. I still don't know whether they were trying to portray her as oh she took a bunch of shots before the wedding and then so now she's in a completely different mood, or is she just like feeling the social pressure of like. Oh, she doesn't want to make a scene now uh, and be mad, so she's just going to go with it and be accepting of her since everyone's looking at them. Right? I, I just, I couldn't, I can't make, I can't make sense of it till this moment. And that she, she would be upset though if you think about all the damage that was around them. They trashed the place. It wasn't just that she hulked out; it was that she completely destroyed the floors. I mean, that would be, that would cost more than like the whole wedding to, to fix that. It's crazy. So uh, we check back in with Mallory and Nikki They're celebrating They're having a drink And they, uh, they're looking at that website Which was Intelligentsia This is how Mr. Immortal basically got found out There was a video posted on the website That says weird rubber guy falls off building and lives And Mallory says I can't believe that guy got eight different people to marry him Nikki chimes uh, You must not be single in L.A. And Mallory says that she's been married a long time 11 years this October She says the day after my son's Birthday which is kind of Yeah right like Makes it seem like okay you had a kid And you got married the next day Um, Right and They don't seem to know anything about Mallory's personal life though and she doesn't seem To want to talk about it at all either Just enough questions right And then just kind of shoots it down so I don't know if that's more suspicious or again like bad writing where they're not really thinking through their characterizations here because it's like so this is a 
woman who's just spent been nonstop with you, like never goes home. You never saw a ring, never made mention of a child. That, you don't that have a mother like in office right here where we've been working. That's that that would be so atypical of like any mother. Like that would like oh. that's such a huge part of your your life to be a parent, just to be a parent in general. Not a, not not mothers. I'm not going to genderize it or whatever. Like it's it it's so important to to me at least in my in my experience and to the people that I've been around. That's been very consistent. If anyone that I know who is a parent, like you find that out about them pretty early on. Uh, it to me just screams uh these writers don't know any parents or or aren't like family types and they're just writing based on like tv shows and stuff like it's almost like they're they're not drawing from real life they're drawing from from other shows in the past it feels very it feels very written it doesn't feel lived in or you know inspired uh i again just don't buy it so as they continue looking at the intelligentsia website Nikki sees a link about She-Hulk. Now, this is sort of like in the Miss in Miss Marvel, uh, and it, and actually even earlier in She-Hulk, when we saw Nikki looking online, there are a couple other things in the corner online that are are intriguing. One of them mm-hmm. says top ten best travel destinations, and the place listed is Cookville, which is where we went in Loki. Uh, Sylvie bombs mm. the place. In Loki, um, which is just sort of a little, you know, tidbit and a, a, a little Easter egg there. So Nikki has to create an account for this website in order to access any of the information and to click on some of the links. So when she's create, creating an, an account, she's going yeah. through like, you know, all the things that she she thinks that the guys on this account would want her, yeah. uh, her information to be. Elk like, hunting is one of yes. them. Definitely says, a Joe Rogan reference. Yep. She says, uh, comma, she was so gross. She was like 30. You know, she's like writing her details. And mm-hmm. um, she mentions right. uh, like elk hunting. And um, so she's she's laying it on. And this is supposed to be mm-hmm. like a parody of dark web, Reddit, you know, yeah. you know, underground. The incel web in, yeah. in the in when she's able to log in and her account is accepted, she actually sees some of these um kind of scary posts where they're yeah. they're talking about killing she hulk. How do we kill yeah. she hulk? How um when um so it said how do we kill she hulk? Eight reasons she hulk should die. And then there's a <laughs> there's a section that's best memes. That says, when you a Hulk, but you still dumb. Wants equality, but wants you to pay for dinner. Wears yoga pants, but mad when you look. And guilty dressing like a man. So, as uh, Nikki, when she was creating her account, she said, Yeah, I just copied and pasted what guys have said to me on the internet. (laughs) And how, how she built this. But Mallory tells Nikki, hey, look. This, these are just trolls. Like, don't even tell Jen about this. This will get inside of her head and, and probably make it worse. You know, Jen is better off. Yeah. Don't give them any attention. Like, just let her live her life. Nikki agrees. Yeah. But <laughs> I actually laughed out loud at the next Same. part. When, yeah. when they yeah. go from Nikki telling Mallory, yeah, you, you know, you're right. 
two <laughs> seconds later, Nikki is in the car calling Jen. And she's like, it's called intelligentsia, and it's all of these like memes and these <laughs> death threats. Okay, but Mallory said not to tell you because she said it would make you feel bad and, and we should protect you and let you live your life. But but I mean, you know, obviously I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. She <laughs> nailed way, that. That was funny. It perfectly because it was like she said it before she even realized what Mallory yeah. had said to her. And then she was like hearing it and she was like, Oh crap, should I have you know, I because obviously I didn't do that, you know. Yeah. So it's probably nothing. <laughs> And uh, so just give me a call whenever you get this. And I love you so much. I, I, I genuinely chuckled at that moment. And like the, yeah. the timing of it and the pacing was so well, it was really well done. Cause it was so quick it was. after that. It, it did pop me uh, a little bit there. And um, yeah, same. Yeah, so th- I guess this was a, it, it seemed like they wanted to give a little bit more for Nikki to chew on in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and she did a great job. Like uh, that, that scene right particular. there is a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. The way she nailed that pause, and you you, you touched on it, but just that she recognized what she was doing in the moment and kind of had a moment of self-reflection, but then was like, oh, well, fuck it. (laughs) Like, let's just go on. (laughs) I already did it. And the idea that it was all on a voicemail, so she was just, like, information dumping all this stuff to her, this heavy stuff that she wasn't even supposed to share, but she didn't even do it, like, in person, like, where she could talk through it. (laughs) That's another great point. The way that they're... We don't realize initially that she's not talking to Jen. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you, you think that she might be telling Jen, and then and then when she stops, yeah. and you realize it's on the voicemail, it, it's even a little bit funnier. Um, yeah, that it's she, another layer to the joke. Yeah, that yeah. she left the whole thing there. So, um, we check back in at the wedding, and Jen gets to have her fries with a guy. That's all oh, she yeah. wanted. She just all wants she to share some fries, and I, I like the way these two interact. Even it like. The way yeah. they are talking about the fries, it, it came off kind of real. She says, or Josh says, did we hit? And she goes, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hit. And then he says, <laughs> okay, I'm getting in there. And he goes in to reach mm-hmm. for some fries. And she goes, careful, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> and he, he says, okay, I won't get a little dip. And then they're just, they're just talking to each other and having this moment yeah. where they're sharing the fries. They're drunk eating. And then we zoom out. And someone is watching Jen and Josh on a monitor. This was like straight out of WandaVision, the first couple episodes when they they zoomed out and we see that they're watching Wanda. (laughs) And on a screen, Jen's name and her blood type, all of her information are there. We see that it's some sort of a lab. And some of these doctors have huge uh, needles with some type of extension yeah. on the needles, and that's how we end. Yeah. So we we see that there was a message sent from the moderator, the creator of that intelligentsio website mm-hmm. to the lab. So that website is I don't know if it's a front or it's definitely more than just a website. In the mm-hmm. comics, the intelligentsia was a group of very smart. Like super villains. Yeah. Kind of like the anti Illuminati. Yeah. So um, there are possible ties to the leader, someone that we've seen mm-hmm. years back. And now, for a lot of the critiques that I think we both had about this episode, I do like where we are at the end now. It feels mm-hmm. like the, the, everything's been heightened now a little bit. Cause now, okay, we have a yeah. bad guy. For a while, we were wondering, is this going to be a show where Jen's just kind of struggling with herself, 
which is a fine show, but mm -hmm. it's different than what we're used to. And now at yeah. least we know there is a bad, evil group. We don't know if maybe this guy Josh is a bad guy or he really is into her. What, what about that guy Todd who seemed right. goofy from last time who wanted her blood? The people who were trying to get her blood. Who who leads this group? Is it the leader? Is it Kingpin? Is it someone else who who right. wants this? So I moving forward, they it feels like they've hit a couple of these endings pretty well. You right? Because like last week I felt really yeah. good, like, oh, Daredevil's coming. And right. I didn't I'm not worried like I don't come out of this episode saying, Oh, I need to see Daredevil tomorrow, but I do feel better now knowing that we at least have like a villain and a big bad mm -hmm. in this show. Yeah, it feels like it's driving towards something, something greater than the self-contained episodes. And uh, we definitely need that because, you know, as we've talked about, the self-contained stories have not been super engaging. They haven't been, you know, totally impactful on their own. Uh, so we need something to kind of carry the story forward. I do feel a little bit cheated in that it's just like this little teaser thing at the end. Um, and it doesn't feel wholly connected to the episode, except for the fact that we find that she's being surveilled, you know, what, uh, all the while that she's doing what we've been watching her do at the, at the wedding. Um, a little side note there is I, I think it's kind of cool uh, that she's breaking the fourth wall and she's, you know, talking to her audience on a TV show and like unbeknownst to her, she actually has been on a TV show this whole time. Just like yeah, you mentioned, right. like, like WandaVision, <laughs> like she's being surveilled at a TV Level. show in its, its own right. Yeah. So I thought that was that was cool in in a way, and it did kind of buoy my feeling coming out of the uh, episode. It kind of lifted my, I guess, opinion on it overall. But the more I think about it, the more it feels like kind of a waste of time, or this, it feels like a, was, um, yeah, just this a, episode a felt. Exercise. I know, and this mm -hmm. episode felt, and I don't like saying that because again, I was not like I didn't watch it and be like, I hate, I, I, I didn't need to watch that or like, oh my God, right. I need 30 minutes of my life back. It, it's not like that. It's not like it's so no. bad or like I need to turn it off, but it felt like the part of a movie where like in a movie, her going to the wedding wouldn't have felt like it would have just felt like, okay, this is part of the middle of the movie where it sort of slows right. down a little bit. But in, so in its glad own, you mentioned that. right, like as its own episode in mm -hmm. a TV show where we can't help but like, when we're watching these and we know how many parts they are and we know things that should be coming, we start doing the math in our head. We are like, right. okay, now we're in episode six and we haven't had Daredevil come in yet. And like, right. where's Bruce? And how come Blonsky hasn't come back? And like, we haven't heard any, who are the people coming after her blood? And then we have this entire thing about a wedding. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like in a it's, movie or if we had the full yeah. bins to watch, I think I would feel better about it. But Same. right now, in the yeah. middle, when we have to react week to week, it's hard not to you to react to this particular episode and say it yeah. was fun again. It was breezy. It was light. Like I love Tatiana. I love a lot of Jen. But there were like four or five things that we pointed out that are like not small things that mm -hmm. just didn't feel like they were done as well as they could have been. Yeah, so true. Uh, and I feel like. You nailed it on the head there when you brought up movie, because that was one of the things that I thought of and I came away from this episode really, you know, stewing over in a way uh, was just that I think this would all work better as a movie. If we condense yep. some things, we cut some of the fat with the B stories here and there. 
and just kind of had, okay, what's the whole plan for the, for this season? How do we make that into a two to two and a half hour movie? I feel like that would be much more satisfying than what we're getting. We could, you know, cause there's moments, you know, that like, like we, we talk about, we talk about all the, the moments that we like, the, the, the chuckles and everything. There's just not enough per minute. We're very fair. They, I think we're very <laughs> fair in our yeah, critiques so. and in our, and in like the positive stuff, like we'll point out every positive line, things that are funny, but the thing it's hard not to address some things that feel kind of big. And I, I think new rock stars, mm-hmm. Eric Voss in watching this, mm-hmm. he seems like he's sort of um, in the same space that we are with this mm-hmm. in that, like okay. there are, there are things, individual things, individual performances, individual characters I like. Yeah. There are some ideas I like. And I think, you know, in a year where J- when Jen's in as part of the Avengers more, the CGI will probably be better when she's in the movies. The But it'll probably look a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Like, it just mm-hmm. – it almost feels like we're, we're in kind of a little simulation to get her to where she needs to be. We're kind of yada, yeah. yada, yadaing there a lot of it. And yeah, well, I don't maybe the opposite of that almost like it's like the the other end of that spectrum where we're we're we, we maybe should yada yada some of this stuff no, it's like and then much, really have mundane. to be able to focus, yeah, right? It's yeah, so yeah, mundane, a lot of the things, yeah, but, exactly. Uh, and but, so, you know what? A, a good show should be able to mine the mundane and it creates some really interesting small moments and and things that you can't do on a, on a movie. And I feel like all, all the times where they're successful on the show. It's mo- not all, but most of the time it's stuff that would would play really well in a movie, uh, but they're not really nailing like the mechanics of a TV show. And they're not really getting those story beats or the investment that you want to feel watching an episode of something. And even just like like the idea of like laughs per minute or how many big laughs are in the series so far. There's just not enough. I think I was I was listening to um, John Campia who just quit this uh, series, uh, not from working on it, but from watching it, so to speak. Uh, he uh, he said, you know what? I'm tapped out after this episode. And it's not that I dislike anything. It's not that, uh, you know, this is super bad. It's just, this is a comedy. And where are the laughs? I'm not laughing as much as I should. I've laughed maybe five good times this whole series when that should be like the rate per episode. And I, I, I got to echo that. And, Part of the reasons the laughs aren't there is because the situations are contrived a little bit too much and they haven't really found the characters or found uh, ways to make it to make it real and believable. And so the, the jokes will fall flat. Um, and other times, I think maybe there's just not enough uh, to it. Maybe they, they, they just need to punch it up a little bit more, uh, take another pass at the writing and and find room for um, a joke and not just a joke like what Chandler used to do on friends where like everything is a literal joke and the character is supposed to be funny in the world. Like that can, that can get a little cringy and fake too, but like we need funny situations and interactions and dynamics and, and uh, just the way a character interacts with another character should make us laugh just on its own. And And there's, um, but not enough. There's one more thing that I keep pointing out. And I always want to, I always like to, uh, to, um, give credit to the people where I, I I heard these takes, and I think it was Eric who mm-hmm. said who um, who he was kind of dancing around the 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 point too of just like I like Tatiana, I like what she's doing with this character, I like what's yeah. happening here with her, but overall it 
hasn't felt as like it's weird because you have these major characters in it, but at the same time, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like all that important what's going on. Now, yeah, I'm I'm still invested and I'm kept in just knowing where we're going, like knowing yeah. that Daredevil is coming in these last three episodes. We know right. that we've seen him in the trailer, and we know that it's going to lead to bringing him into this world, and and that She Hulk is going to be a big character moving forward as part of the Avengers and that she will be around moving forward. And even now yeah. with this little tease of the intelligentsia, like I'm at least curious to tune in next week to see more of it. But I agree right. in just that it's like this this was one and you know it's still early in the Disney Plus Marvel days, but maybe mm-hmm. they do need to figure some things out because I do think if this was yeah. one that they tested out, that would have been better as a binge or a movie, like as a one drop Absolutely. where you could see the entire arc and understand that, okay, like that episode in the middle wasn't that important, but the episode following right after had a big, a big something. I, yeah. I just, I think we'd feel exactly. a little better about it if, if we saw the whole journey. So it's, I'm it's, only bought in because I'm bought into the Marvel story. I, I yeah, overall, a, almost like, a, sunk cost value almost like i put a lot of time into the story and i'm investing in these characters and uh, yeah i don't want to give up on that i have hope that you know there's going to be some movies tv shows or whatever that comes down the down the line that's gonna really knock my socks off i just feel like again like they're being they're they're too bloated they're trying to do too much too fast and they don't have the infrastructure or the talent to sustain this much story and and keep it all good uh, all this all these products that they're re- releasing every year and it's becoming more and more of a product too uh so it just doesn't have that spark of humanity that comes from from real you know art inspired art uh there's moments of that because there's real artists working on on these things um and it comes from a you know great source material uh but i'm just not i'm not sold on this and this is something where on its own, I wouldn't be watching this right now, week to week. Like, if, well, no, if, if this I, wasn't, if I wasn't a Marvel. Already in, and, and if I wasn't doing this podcast, I probably wouldn't be be doing it. I, I'm invested in this kind of like experiment of uh, of examining Marvel and what they're doing week to week with you, and I'm I'm fascinated by that. And so, you know, I, I watch these episodes twice, uh, and and read read about them and read the transcripts and watch all the behind the scenes, not behind the scenes, uh, the uh, the reactions and stuff, so we can talk about it. But Gosh, would I even be watching week to week if we weren't doing this? I I, I could say pretty definitively, no. I'd probably let them stack up and just watch them. Uh, uh, that, I might even watch them in the background that you know my first pass through, uh, because that's just the level that the show is, is giving me right now. Well, yeah, it kind of want it. It makes you seem like that's what it wants to be is something that's <laughs> not that that important. So hopefully, with what we know coming forward in the next three. That we'll feel a little different about it, you yeah. know, in a week and in two weeks and in three weeks. And as we get towards the, you know, the, the upcoming projects. So moving yeah. forward, we have three more episodes that remain. Episodes seven, eight, and nine of She-Hulk. Then we'll get to Werewolf by Night, which comes out October so the that. 7th. Um, so we'll have a we'll have a look at that for sure. If you're if you're down to to talk about that one, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. definitely uh, into that. And then following that, we'll have some uh, some time off of the shows for a while, and then it, it'll be a couple movies. We'll have Black Panther: Wakanda Forever in November. Um, really stoked for that. That I mean, that trailer is unreal. 
And then I'm actually looking forward to the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. That's in December. They were able to film some stuff during Guardians Volume 3, you know, to use for the holiday special. So that'll be silly. And then uh, it'll be into uh, 2023 before we get uh, more TV shows. So maybe they'll have a little bit more time to just kind of find their footing with some of these things and they won't feel as rushed. You know, yeah. we get back to what We're if. further out from COVID, too. Yes, it, more graphics. So that's a good and, thing, too. You no, know, the CG might be a little bit easier and to, to get some of the, the issues that they had. Um, so then, you know, next year, what if season two, the uh, yeah, Ant-Man. Yeah, looking forward to that. Oh, that yeah, that should be fun because those yeah. started to really pick up after the first couple. They did. And they were yeah. quick, easy watches. They're only like 25-minute episodes. You know, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, that's in February. Quantumania. Secret Invasion early next year, which is supposed to be like a really big undertaking and supposed to be like a very ambitious project. And then Echo was one that we uh, got introduced to in Hawkeye and uh, Guardians Volume 3 in May. So, yeah, we'll have uh, this. Daredevil Born Again. I don't know how how long after that, but yeah, yeah, down the line. There's a a lot in the kitty coming forward. We'll be here with you each and every week. Unfortunately, the last couple have been a little bit downer just because they've just felt a little bit light, but we do seem to have mm-hmm. a pretty good third, like ending third of this series coming forward. There's just a lot of things they're going to have to address in the next three yeah. episodes. Hopefully that'll, uh, that'll sort of heighten the stakes moving forward. TK yeah, buddy, <laughs> two thirds of the way down with she Hulk, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, we have just a couple weeks left and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into the, uh, the werewolf by night, man. Thank you. Again, so much because, like we said, some days it's fun, some days it's it feels a little bit more like work. But I always enjoy talking with my friend and kind of talking it all out. Absolutely, and you know what? It's it is a little bit of work when it's not the best show, but like it's it's a fascinating uh, study for me at at the end of the day as well. Like I I really am interested in what Marvel has undertaken, you know, Mm -hmm. over the last decade plus, uh, and the the scope of it all and the ambitiousness of it all and the fact that it's never been done before and it, the, the, this slate that you just talked about i'm so excited about it i, I it, when they first announced that they were going to do all this i was like super super stoked now i'm a little bit my my expectations have been tempered a little bit i understand that there are limitations so i'm going into each episode each new project with a, a little bit of a, a grain of salt uh because i know that they're they need to make adjustments i think that that's where they're at right now they, they really do need to make some changes in the way that they they operate but like you also mentioned we've got some really a tier stuff black panther 2 ryan coogler returning what are they going to do with that i i'm so intrigued by that and i can't wait to see that movie that's one of the um the north stars here that is just kind of like guiding me along the way and really keeping me invested uh in this whole franchise as well at this point but like you mentioned werewolf by night that seems like something that's really off the beaten path for Marvel. And, you know, uh, I see a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of unexplored things uh, that they haven't even announced yet. Mutants, for crying out loud. Like, we got some stuff to, to uh, sink our teeth into in the coming months and years, so I'm stoked about that. Tim Kelly will be here with us to talk about everything going on in the world of Marvel and the MCU. TK, thank you so much, buddy. Uh, for all of you out there, make sure to give Tim a follow at Tim is not funny on Twitter and on Instagram. You can check out all of the music projects there and everything TK has going on. And we will talk episode seven next week. Just a few more that remain. 
Thank you so much, buddy. Let's uh, finish up She-Hulk strong. Sounds good. Looking forward to next week. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more on this episode of That's What G Said. Just three more episodes of She-Hulk remaining. So now it'll be fun. For the next few weeks, we'll have She-Hulk deep dives, and we'll have Andor deep dives for uh, these new episodes each and every week. We'll have that along with the great horse racing action, continuing on with the NFL and college football plays. So we'll uh, we'll be talking some Star Wars and some Marvel MCU for the next few weeks. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out. Thanks to DZ for helping out with this week's deep dive. Thanks to Tim Kelly for helping us out with She-Hulk in the Marvel stuff. Always our MCU guy. And it's sad to see Louisiana Downs go this meet. I had a lot of fun covering them every day for the first time. So hopefully we uh, led you to a few winners throughout the meet and we can close uh, with a uh, with a bang on Tuesday. Good luck coming up in all your plays. Hope everyone has a fantastic few days and we'll be back again with much more That's What G Said coming up later this week.